0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This
2: is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Now
0: on
3: BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, getting the day started, folks. June 29th, it's a uh, it's Hug Holiday Day Hug holiday. Everybody needs a holiday, and everybody needs a hug. So reach out and hug somebody today. And Ben, if you do it appropriately, that would be much appreciated. Top of the morning Noted. to you. Did you what, Dan? What did you say, Ben? Noted. Noted.
4: Hug appropriately.
2: It's a it's a hug holiday day, which is where we'll celebrate. Uh, you know, giving a hug to the sick, to the elderly, to the afflicted. Uh, just share your joy.
5: I'm a fan of Don't Touch Me Day.
2: Anybody that can get Stay a hug away, in please. on, <laughs> if somebody can get a hug in on Terry today, they win a special prize. Camera Day. It's also Camera Day today. Oh, the sound of a Polaroid. The good old days when a, when you not only could take a picture, but you could wait a minute to see it. Do you remember that? And you'd have to shake air it. it out. Come on, shake it out, Grandma. Shake it like a Polaroid. And it's also Waffle Iron Day
3: in the morning i'm making waffles
5: waffles are you waffle people sure it's just another version of a pancake
2: i don't like waffles
4: i like waffles a lot
2: why oh because you went to germany
4: well (laughs) waffles are Belgian.
2: i know but i'm just saying that's your life right you like to go experience the the eccentric European flavors
4: well, that sounds really good, except I just like how the little pockets hold the syrup.
5: yeah, it's a pancake with syrup I don't like pockets
2: it. I would they they always seem dry on the other side well, then
5: flip it over and put more syrup
2: on it,
4: it you want it's like a sponge
5: it just yeah, soaks it all up.
4: you want the syrup to crystallize inside of
5: the waffle mm, you want it, the wow. the sugar to actual waffle ratio needs to be well on the sugar side See,
2: that's not a bad idea, so load it up. I've never flipped them over and then covered the other side. They've always seemed dry to me.
5: Or try ketchup. Ketchup always makes things taste Crepes, better.
2: Crepes. I'd rather have a crepe. Crepe. Yeah. Crepe. Mmm. I'm hungry. W- waffle Iron Day. Uh, because of the wafer iron, hmm. which is where waffles came from.
5: Well, there you go. That's
2: all you need to know. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about... Uh, this crazy epidemic. It happens every year, but uh, one of our guests this morning is calling it an epidemic. Children dying in hot cars, right? And then the parents are like, oh, my heavens, I forgot the child was there. So we're going to be speaking with an expert uh, in um, brain research about how you could forget something as important as that. And he has a really interesting theory that uh, seems to be proving out why sometimes not something as serious as your child. But how come on your way home from work, you, rem- you, told- you were told, go pick up some milk, go get some milk. You drive home, you get all the way home, you're in your driveway, and you forgot the milk. Why can't you remember something as simple as picking up the milk? Well, there's a little break between your habit memory and kind of your perspective memory, the perspective memory that I need to go potentially go to the store versus your habit memory that will just do the task automatically. And somewhere in between, you make big mistakes. You forget things and eventually you could forget a child in a car or a dog or an animal in the car or whatever, something important. So we'll be talking with him about how to overcome that. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas, find out what's going on in the headlines around the country. Caitlin, what's up, my friend?
6: morning. Well, today we have, again, Trump coming in at the top of the headlines. His campaign is reportedly going to have former boxer Mike Tyson, former Chicago Bears coach Mike Ditka, former Indiana ver- University basketball coach Bobby Knight, and other appear on his behalf at the Republican National Convention in July. Trump has previously boasted about Tyson's endorsement. Tyson served three years in prison for rape. Trump's campaign did not respond to a request for comment about whether Tyson would be speaking or not. Speaking with NBC News' Andrea Mitchell on Tuesday, Senator Bernie Sanders held firm on his reluctance to outright Endorse Hillary Clinton for president. Sanders said, quote, It's not a question of my endorsement. It's a question of the American people understanding that Secretary Clinton is prepared to stand with them. I have no doubt that if Secretary Clinton makes those positions clear, she will defeat Trump and defeat him by a very wide margin. Police officers in Washington, D.C. shot and killed a man who had raised a weapon to them that turned out to be a BB gun. Officers responded to a call about an armed man, and he allegedly ignored calls to drop it when they arrived on the scene. The man, identified as 63-year-old Sherman Evans, died after being taken to the hospital. The races of the officers and the individual killed have not been released." Three crew members are missing following a head-on-train collision Tuesday in Panhandle, Texas. The BNSF railway freight trains were on the same track when they collided. The Associated Press reports and several of the boxcars carrying assorted consumer goods burst into flames. A BNSF spokesperson said each train had two crew members and one was able to jump from his train before the crash. His condition is unknown. The spokesman also said it's not known how fast the trains were going when they collided or why they were both on the same track. And finally, Matt, Uber is no longer just a form of ground transportation, at least if you live in China. The company announced over the weekend that it's expanding its services to the air and the water huh? with the upcoming launch of Uber, Balloon, and Uber uh. Boat. Haha! Yes, you can now request a hot air balloon ride or a boat ride with a swipe on your smartphone, but before you get too excited about the thought of hailing a hot air balloon to the bars on Saturday night, <laughs> keep in mind that these new rides are currently only available in China.
2: Well... Hold Sorry. On. Thank you, Caitlin. Man, are you kidding? So let me get this straight. Isn't Uber, you just go on your app, you just kind of, uh, you know, you call the car, the car comes and picks you up. Yes. But it's usually run by somebody. It's their car, huh. yes. and they're just here to get you, give you a ride.
5: It's ride
2: sharing. So I'm going to hail an Uber balloon pilot.
5: Yes. See, Uber sees themselves as a technology company That helps match people for services, but a balloon pilot. Now they're saying balloon pilots or boats. If you want, basically like a rental. If you want to rent a boat. Okay,
2: it's one thing to have a college kid driving me around in his Mazda around town. Okay, but some guy Uh in his balloon, a college kid maybe, if he has one. He's going to take me up in a balloon. Well, they have to. Seems like there's a lot that could go wrong in a balloon.
5: Oh yeah, you can just cover it with insurance. Hmm. They're doing food delivery.
2: Package. Oh. Well, then package that makes delivery. sense. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, go. Can you go pick up my Chinese food and bring it over here?
5: Yeah. Like that'd be great. Right. But in China, they just call it food.
2: But can you? Yeah, they just call it. Can you just go pick up my lunch? <laughs> and Bring it over here. It's wow. just food. I guess that's great.
5: If that's- you if if, the, if you want it. It's a service economy I
2: mean I think it's it's something
5: <laughs> it's definitely something someday I guess in the u s
2: you'll be some guy will land his ultra light no. or whatever and then just you'll get in it
5: and you'll fly to work. No, because that would be fun, yeah, and that would be regulated so that wouldn't happen.
2: Okay, that's not good. Yeah. Hey,
5: um wow,
2: Donald Trump's going to have I some like <laughs> He is going to have a convention yeah. He's, he's making it a show. It's going to be fun. I mean, a lot of times at conventions, all you get are like politicians giving political speeches.
5: Well, he's running into some problems. There's politicians that really don't want to be associated with the uh, <laughs> the convention since it's going to be his convention. But he's going –
2: he's proposing, I guess, or saying that Bobby Knight may be there. Which isn't a, a stretch. He, he supported him on yeah, the, in the primary. In, in, Indiana. in Indiana. They were great. They're great hmm. friends. Great friends. I mean, he knows a lot of people. They had a
5: chair-throwing contest. It was Yeah. Great. Mike Ditka, yeah, and uh, Mike Tyson. Yes, he was. Was he on The Apprentice? He probably was. He probably was. I mean, and plus, he's got to
2: have Dennis Rodman sometime.
5: But I mean, Mike Tyson uh, ties his success in boxing with Trump because a lot of uh, several of his big fights happened at Trump hotels, yeah, casinos.
2: I mean, it just seems like you know these guys. A lot of these guys are angry.
5: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's some. Yeah,
2: so. I I think I see a theme coming. Are they going to be jointly angry? Probably. Wow. The Bears. Yeah. Mike Dick, I mean, I guess he's
5: going for the Midwest. There you go. Midwest vote. You got two Midwest because you need Indiana. Where's Tyson from? You know, he's probably Brooklyn, lives in Vegas. Yeah,
2: it depends. He's been all over but Tyson, wow. I mean, Tyson, this is like making a lot of the feminists angry because I can't remember if he was actually ever convicted, but an yeah. alleged rapist. He went
5: to jail. There was yeah. domestic violence. Yeah. There's all kinds of things. Oh, wow. Now he's got a really kind of questionable cartoon. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> with, heavens. With talking pigeons. But it's kind of
2: weird. I, this also is this is telling us Donald's having trouble getting other people to even go to the convention, let alone wanting to speak at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, if he needs my services, I'll come speak about team building. You want to marriage. be
5: associated with the Trump. You brand? know what? It's it's all marketing. If okay. I
2: could get a picture with me, Bobby Knight, Mike Ditka, Mike Tyson, and the Trumpster.
5: <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Some other Trump news. What? Donald Trump is some Icelandic politicians very, very confused, (laughs) despite the fact that it's illegal to accept donations from foreign nationals. Talking points memo reports. The Trump campaign has been including members of the Icelandic parliament in its email blasts asking for money. The, uh, the Iceland Monitor, a newspaper there, reports that at least three prominent Icelandic politicians have gotten an email from Trump asking for campaign funding and outlining his fight against, quote, crooked Hillary and her pathetic cronies, as well as the dishonest liberal media. The Trump campaign also has reported, uh, reportedly been emailing members of the UK House of Commons and at least one member of the Australian Parliament.
2: What? Why is he doing that?
5: No, no explanation you just on my list they're in the, the Icelandic paper has quotes and the the members of their parliament very confused not sure why this is coming to them Wow
2: <laughs> is it
5: wow I mean
2: all of a sudden he, he can't get money here I guess so he's getting money from he Hillary does it why can't Donald well Hillary needs a global I mean Donald needs the Trump global it's, initiative it's alleged
5: that Hillary does it
2: well, we know global Clinton Global Initiative gets money from all over. Yeah,
5: the charity for its charitable right. efforts. She uh, doesn't get any of that money. Trump and others try to draw a connection between getting money there and then funneling it into her campaign. Yeah. Which has never been proven. Never been proven.
2: Never. Been proven. <laughs> wow. So Donald is uh, – is he is he getting his act together? Because again, I heard another poll that shows he's neck and neck again. Yes, unless you, unless you take the outlier poll that was the CBS poll, I think it was no the ABC poll. The Wall yeah, Street Journal
5: poll—they're right neck and yeah, neck. About five, six points. The ABC poll had them at twelve, which yeah. everyone went. yeah, It's a bit much. Um, there's been problems staffing of with people not wanting to join the campaign. Right. Many of the uh, kind of I guess you call them uh, experienced Republican uh, operatives that know how to run campaigns and worked with Romney and McCain. Yeah, they didn't.
2: They didn't jump on board.
5: They won't jump on board because they're on the never Trump side of things. Uh-huh. And so they're having a hard time finding people to jump on, especially they just hired uh, uh, to Ted Cruz's yeah. former communications guy, because people didn't want to work for him on a, in a communications uh, way because
2: he's a loose communicator.
5: They said it. I heard a New York Times reporter call it because it's clean up on aisle nine like every day with Trump. <laughs> You have to run in and figure yeah. out how to how to adjust this message so that yep. it doesn 't sound as bad as it did when it came out of Donald Trump, so uh, one of the things is you need to have something President Obama did was able to look at data, look at email, look at all that information from supporters, mm-hmm. and find the issues that were specific to people to one get them to vote and two. Get them to donate to the yeah, campaign. That targeted. Yeah. And it was very targeted and it was very specific. And he had people build the, uh, the the data platform, I guess you could say, to be able to harness all this data. Well, Hillary Clinton's been doing that since December. Yeah. She just barely got a hold of all of President Obama's data from his can't last campaign. So they're trying to put that into the system and get her, her efforts okay. up and running. Trump's, as they call it, his secret data reversal. Having once dismissed the importance of campaign tech, the mogul is now rushing to catch up with Clinton. Uh, the presumptive Republican presidential nominee recent boast of a $11 million online fundraising surge has been aided by the Prosper Group, an Indianapolis-based digital firm that worked during the GOP primary for Trump's rival Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio according to four operatives familiar with the Trump data operation, to process all that cash. The Trump campaign this month brought on another company, which uh, actually was working for the Never Trump movement a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? So he's they used to, if you were against them, they wouldn't talk to you. Yeah. Now, but, now they're like, okay, we understand. It's well, business. Once you're, yeah, once
2: you're emailing or sending mailers to Iceland, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, we last, need help.
5: Last week, the campaign's top data official met in San Antonio with officials from... The RNC and a company called Cambridge Analytica, which worked for Ted Cruz, because Ted Cruz was trying to build this Uh sort of technology foundation for his campaign. And Ted had one of the
2: most advanced campaigns of the 17 that fought for the GOP, right? So he was the one that, like, had the big... Heavy machinery. Campaign. He understood
5: you needed to have this foundation, and Trump's trying to play catch up. At mm. the says, but some of the operatives say that there is internal disagreement about whether to hire the firm, which was paid more than six million by Cruz and his allies. Trump's willingness to turn for data assistance to companies that worked against him is perhaps the sunset or the surest sign that he is yet to move in another step to more okay, professionalize his campaign.
2: He's he's going more mainstream now. Donald's realized that. It's going to take more than just his good looks.
5: Yeah. So is he making steps forward? Apparently so.
2: Apparently. Well, he's accepting what everyone else does. He's this isn't like he's not like, you know, in going to the moon. He's just accepting that there is a moon. And now he will maybe hire somebody that's, you know, got a telescope.
5: Maybe have a better idea how to get there.
2: Yeah. That's progress. There you go. I mean, it only took a year.
5: We're, as we're, of, as of last week, the reports were that he had thirty staffers. Yeah, where Hillary's like seven hundred, right? Something like that. I think. Yeah. I think Obama at this point last year had thirty in Ohio. <laughs> so you know, whichever it's, to each it, his own.
2: I, I honestly, is it really a race?
5: It is at some point to show that you have some sort of plan on how to win.
2: Because yeah, yeah, you got to win, and you got to yeah, you you got to play to win. Right? I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe Johnson. Maybe Johnson. Maybe the Green Party. Who knows? Crazy stuff, folks. Hey, we got a great uh, topic coming up. You ever just been driving home and forgot, you know, what you're supposed to do? Maybe you're supposed to go pick up one of your kids on the way home. Or go pick up, you know, gallon of milk. Well... That little forgetfulness sometimes can prove to be even more dangerous. Uh, we're going to be talking about the epidemic of children dying in hot cars, a tragedy that can be prevented many, many, many times. It's simply the person didn't remember the child was in the car. They forgot that they, were going, that they had the child. So we're going to be speaking with a memory expert and a, a neuroscientist who's going to walk us through our memory and help us figure out how to make sure we can remember the important things in our lives. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as temperatures rise and we move further into the heat of summer, the stress of driving to all the pool parties, you know, barbecues, the sports games, the family parties, all that chaos, all that stress, maybe the sleepovers that you're you're having with your kids, maybe you're not getting enough sleep. But it creates, in a way, a perfect storm. It changes your schedules. It uh, maybe messes up some of your routines, some of your habits that uh, you might normally be doing throughout the rest of the year. And all of a the sudden then, you may, have, uh, you may have a situation that we hear about over and over where we, somebody leaves a child in the car and the child... Uh, dies. They suffer brain damage as a result of being left in the car. Since 2004, over 300 children have died or suffered brain damage as a result of being left in hot cars. These heart wrenching accidents leave families and communities devastated, but they can be prevented. And joining us now uh, on the show is Dr. David Diamond. Dr. Diamond joins us from Tampa, Florida, and he is an expert in uh, helping us understand why so many of us forget important things, uh, not just kids because that's kind of a rare thing, but forgetting just day-to-day stuff that was so important to get done and we forgot to do it. We appreciate you, Dr. David Diamond. Thanks for being with us today.
7: Well, good morning, Matt. Thank you for having me on your show.
2: This is um, – I mean, there's there's kind of multiple issues here. And, the, I mean, a big one is these stories that we hear about the children being left in the car – you know, and sometimes you hear that story and you wonder, is it just, are these just bad parents? Are these negligent parents? But you've been studying this for years. Um, talk to us about, uh, first of all, how you took your research about memory and, and brain science and, and started to attack this issue of these parents leaving kids in the car.
8: Well,
7: as I wrote in the article, in the conversation, that I've been studying brain and memory for almost 40 years. And the standard way we study it in the laboratory is we would just have someone memorize some words and then just perhaps stress them or just look at um, baseline memory processing. We just see how people forget. Uh, This is not the kind of phenomenon that we can study in a laboratory. So when I first learned of this, I was as surprised as anyone else. And I learned of this in 2004 when I was told about a a father that had left his child in a car and the child died of hypothermia. Mm. And I have to say that, along with everyone else, my first inclination is to think, well, that's just a negligent father.
2: Yeah, bad parents.
7: It is absolutely the first thing that pretty much everyone will be thinking. Um, but since I've been studying memory already, I've been studying it for decades, um, and I continue to have contact with reporters. They seem to lock on to me to be the one to explain this phenomenon. That's why I've, in a sense, made a study of it now for the last dozen years. So it actually basically fits with so much of what we know about memory and, and the brain. It's just it's such a much more tragic form of memory impairment.
2: And we've had, I think, parallel experiences. Everybody, you know, has been driving home from work. Their maybe their spouse calls them and says, Hey, make sure you go pick up your the, the child at such and such place. And as you're driving home, yeah, okay. You listen to the radio, you do all these things, little traffic stoppage. Then you get home and you totally forgot to pick up the kid. That's That parallels exactly, it sounds like, from my reading, what it, what we do when we might forget we have a child left in the car.
7: Or, or a, a more common error. And I understand I'm not trivializing forgetting a child. Right, right. But it's the same phenomenon with the more common error in which – someone says to you, "You know, stop, in, stop at the store on the way home, yeah. and you have every intention to do so. Right, um, And then your mind wanders, and, and then essentially your mind doesn't come back to what your plan was, which was to stop at the store. And, and it, it really helps looking at how the brain functions to understand this phenomenon. We all have plans to, to do something. And um, the problem is that plan sometimes gets lost in the brain noise. Um, we need a reminder to follow through in our plans, whether it's something as trivial as, uh, and benign as remember to stop at the store and something far more important, which is remember to take your child to daycare. And I think the most important thing is if it sounds like we just say, well, we just forgot. And you can imagine the look on your wife's face when you come home and you mm-hmm. haven't gone to the store and she really needs something. And it can actually be more important. Maybe you need to get medication and the pharmacy is now closed. Uh, so you've got the look on her face in which you say, well, I forgot. So how can you forget? This is something really important. Um, and, it, and what's actually happening is you lose awareness of the plan. Uh, and so we've got, in a sense, we've got multitasking of memory processing. And so we're planning the future. We may be thinking about our retirement. We're thinking about what we're doing that evening. We're planning on what we're going to be doing at work. That's processing that's ongoing that allows us to multitask. At a sort of subterranean, subconscious level, we've also got specific memories we want to reactivate, and we want to reactivate that memory that says "stop at the store." Hmm. And the problem is, we actually lose awareness of these memories.
2: And you bring up the fact that we we also we kind of, I guess, have these dueling memories going on that one you call perspective, one you call habit memory, and maybe is that where we lose the awareness is when we're kind of in between those two or in one instead of the other.
7: Exactly. So we, we tend to think that we sort of have a unified perception. Um, but what's actually happening is our brain is a bit like a puzzle with all these different pieces that interact. And so when we're doing something out of habit, we, we've actually got a very explicit, as an organ in the brain. And it's called the basal ganglia that sort of takes over and it allows us to do lots of things without thinking about it. And we do this all the time. Um, I mean, Think about the very first day you learned how to drive a car, and you're having to think, where's the gas? Where are the brakes? How much do I turn the ignition? There's so many things to think
8: about.
7: And it's so convenient that when the basal ganglia eventually takes over, you can do all this without thinking about it. And, And the same thing, when you're driving to work the very first day, you're looking at every single turn. You're listening to the GPS tell you which way to go until eventually it becomes automatic. When it's automatic, this basal ganglia allows us to do so many things without thinking about it. And the great thing about the basal ganglia is that it frees up the rest of our brain to think about other things. Yeah. That's how we multitask. Well, when we are going from point A to point B, and that point A to point B doesn't always include a child, the basal ganglia sort of goes off track. It's almost like you're going down the train tracks, and you're going down one trail, and you're, and you're not making a switch to go to daycare. And the basal ganglia simply takes you from, from home t- directly to work, Hmm. And it, it takes control over this plan, which is, well, no, we've got to veer off today and go to daycare. And you lose awareness that the child is in the car, therefore you go straight from home to work. You know, that's just a straightforward way that I can explain it, yeah. and I just hope your listeners don't think I'm trivializing it. No. Because that is the first response people have. Well, this, this guy, I hear this so often, this psychologist is just making excuses for bad parenting. <laughs> and. Uh, I can tell you, I have gotten to know these parents, and it happens to people every walk of life. Prof- professionals, it has happened to, to mothers, fathers, and, and I didn't include it in the article, but it happened to me actually once. Mm. So I actually know what it feels like. You, yeah,
2: you've, you, feel, you, you, you feel their pain because you've been there. I mean, we've, I think we've all done a version of this, but you make – I can't remember if it was in your article um, – but it's that idea that if I'm in the car and you know it was a weird order of things and my wife might normally take the baby to daycare and I'm taking it to daycare instead and I'm running anyway and I get in my habit of getting in my car and driving to my work, if I don't have some reminder of the baby bag right next to me or the baby cooing or talking or something behind me, um, I could easily just – like you're saying, I guess, get into my habit memory and – and and just fade away. We, we've we done that before. Exactly. I mean, I, I, well, we do it with our phones. We leave our phone again, not to trivialize it, but it's the same process, isn't it? We Things that we would never forget or leave somewhere, we do.
7: Oh, it, you know, it happens all the time with things that don't matter, things that do matter. It's the same process in which that basal ganglia takes over. It makes our lives easier. But in the process, it suppresses our awareness of a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's obviously things of great value. I mean, there's so many times I've gone through security at the airport, and and I put my cell phone into the little container, and it passes through, and I pick up my bag, and I move on, and there's my cell phone behind me Um, because my routine actually is to pick up my luggage, not to actually separately pick up the cell phone. So we actually go through this routine all the time, and whenever it is a change of the routine, no matter how subtle, that's often what we miss. And and there's so many near misses with children. And I've had so many parents tell me that while they're driving, suddenly their child starts talking, babbling or makes a sound. And they realize, "Wow, I had lost awareness. Uh-huh. I didn't know my child was in the car." Yeah. In fact, the uh, the Washington Post reporter Gene Weingarten wrote a magnificent piece on this some years ago and it won the Pulitzer Prize. And he was motivated to write this because, after driving for a while with his daughter, she made a sound, and he realized he had lost awareness. She was in the car.
2: Hmm. So, I think it's, I think this is such a universal issue, and I loved the, the way your article framed it because I, it, it, it's a tragedy in just in the car, leaving the child in the car. That kind of an incident, and then yet this is still such an important learning for all of us who are going through. You know these little these little lack of awareness moments in our lives today. We're again speaking with Dr. David Diamond. He's a professor at the University of South Florida and uh, is helping us understand our memory and how it works. And uh, we'll take a break. Come back more with Dr. Diamond after the break and find out what we can do to make sure that we that we create and, and maintain awareness so that uh, we we actually can remember to. Uh, to do what's important and focus on the important things in life. Stick with us, folks, helping you live healthier, happier lives and being present in your life. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. the Matt Townsend show dr. Matt here your coach uh, helping you with a, a, I think an interesting discussion about your brain and your memory and it uh, it all sparked from this idea of uh, these children that are left in cars and um, end up dying or having other you know traumatic injuries um, because of what happens in a car that's 150 degrees or whatever. Um, and we we found a wonderful article by today's guest, David Diamond. He is a professor at uh, the University of Southern Florida, or South Florida, and is a professor in psychology, molecular pharmacology, and physiology. He's also the director of Neuroscience um, Collaborative Program and Center for Preclinical and Clinical Research on PTSD there at the University of South Florida. He is teaching us today about how our brain works, and a lot of times, apparently, if I'm getting this right, Dr. Diamond, uh, we, we, we generally have kind of um, – we have two different kind of brain functions maybe at odds with each other. One is a memory system that is more designed to be kind of the local or the habit memory uh, that comes out of the basal ganglia, and that habit memory is what gets us to do all the things that just become habitual – your little routines, your your patterns of doing something. We also have another perspective memory. When somebody says, "Hey, make sure you pick up some milk on the way home," and uh, that new addition that's you know retained in my uh, in my memory, I guess my frontal cortex now has to somehow intervene in my habit memory and make sure we get it done. Is that is that the problem we're facing?
7: Summarize the article and and the problem we're facing very well.
2: Okay.
8: Um,
7: And it is actually a challenge we have pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. We make plans, whether it's a few minutes in advance or hours in advance to do something. And then we assume that the more important the plan is, the more likely it is we will just simply remember it spontaneously. Right. And, in fact, um, the reason why we know that doesn't work is because as something becomes more important, we don't trust our memory. We give ourselves reminders. We put it into our calendar and we have our uh, we have our software remind us when we have important um, uh, appointments to take care of. we 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 assume we 're not going to just remember that we have an appointment today at four o 'clock uh, so we need those reminders to help us, otherwise those plans get lost in the noise of the brain
2: huh so is this this is fixable right? I guess we need we need something that alerts us, I guess, in a more obvious visual way to remember these types of things, or what can we do to, to improve our awareness?
7: Well, I think the first thing, and this is where a lot of people are resistant, is to accept that our memory is faulty, that it is possible to forget a child, that anyone can forget a child in a car. Uh, and this is potentially where the greatest problem is, because you have people who are aware forgotten children and cars and these are the people that will actually forget the children in cars mm. so um, the first thing is to, to get out of denial of saying well that only happens to bad parents that can't happen to me um, and and I, I basically I think this works for everything uh, we have to accept that there are things going on in our daily lives that we must have reminders and I actually had the picture uh, that I use for myself that picture in which it says stop at the store for milk that's actually a reminder I use. Well, that,
2: you, you wrote a Post-it note and stuck <laughs> it on your, your uh, steering column.
7: Right. I, I pretty much accept that these memory systems are battling all the time in my brain. And once I accept that and there's something important that I need to do, I go out of my way to give myself reminders. Um, and <laughs> And so... My son has often said to me, he's really glad I never forgot him in the car, <laughs> because uh, I'm actually the memory expert with a lousy memory. Uh, <laughs>
2: but so you at least I, m- admit it.
7: I, I will admit it, and, and I go through strategies. First thing is accepting that our memory is flawed. So whenever something is important, I will put it into my calendar. I will give myself a reminder in the car. Um, I, 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 I think this is the first step, which is accepting that because we are human, we are flawed. Uh, and which includes having flawed memories. It means we need reminders for those things that are important. Now after that, um, the challenge is, well, what do you do about it? Well, I always tell people um, it's so important to communicate with the daycare provider, whether it's a babysitter or or it's a business. They really need to communicate with the parent if the child doesn't show up when the child is expected. Mm. And, and, And in almost every case, if the daycare provider had contacted the parent within a half hour, the child expected to be there, well, then so many of these deaths you know, could have been avoided. Yeah. And that's the first thing. I really think people have to communicate. I think people need to to have reminders. If you accept that you can forget a child in the car, then when you put a child in the car, and then it's not your every single day routine. I mean, if you always just drive straight from home to daycare, and that's all you do. I mean, that's your life is to take a child to daycare. Well, then obviously that's your habit yeah. if you're going to do that. But if you have multiple routes, one of which includes taking a child to daycare, another goes, means going straight to work, then be sure you have a reminder on a day in which your child is, is, needs to go to daycare, which means put the diaper bag on the, on the passenger seat. Have something reminding you of the child. Now, and I also wrote the, that I just learned of this great advance that GM has, which is explicitly designed because so many children have died in cars. And it's really fantastic, and it's so simple. What is it? Uh, when you open the back door of this GM car, the car basically monitors that, that you have opened the back door for any reason, whether you know you've put groceries in the back seat or you put a child. The car monitors that the back door was opened at around the time the car was started. When you exit the car, a simple reminder comes right on the dashboard that says, there's something in the back seat. Huh. You open the door, therefore there must be something in the back of the car. Oh,
2: that's great. That's great. I mean, again, another gift or blessing of technology, something as simple as that. I mean, at least, two. if it's not a child, you won't forget your briefcase or you won't forget your bag.
7: Exactly. I have to tell you, there have been times I've gone to the grocery store and I'm driving around. I come home and I forget the groceries are in the back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I I
7: deal with this on a daily basis. Yeah. So um, it's really a very useful reminder, but it's also GM accepting that this has happened, and it's an incredibly cost-efficient process. Oh yeah! For them, it's basically a software change and a very minor change to the to the dashboard. And now, and I wrote actually, they put this in only one model car for 2017. I mean, this is something at almost no cost can be put into every car.
2: And, and what a great, really selling point uh, for a family vehicle. I mean, especially right. you see all these vans, these. Uh, vans driving around with with all the kids. What a great idea too to to have those memories in those cars as well. One of the well, things you...
7: I like and don't like about the GM statement is uh, they put it into an SUV. They said because this is a family car. Huh. Well, I think that's great, but what about all the people who drive kids in cars that aren't SUVs?
2: That's exactly. And Let's so get it in every car.
7: A priority of the GM. So yeah, I think yeah. it's got to be done for all
2: cars. You brought up another point that I think is super important: is stress. And sleep deprivation, I've, I've left my house stressed, running late, uh, and, you know, f- had to bring two or three additional things to the car that I wasn't normally bringing and wasn't part of my habit or routine, and that threw everything off. Um, talk about what stress does to us and uh, sleep deprivation to our memory.
7: Yeah, exactly. That's a big factor, and that's actually what I've been studying is how stress affects memory. I think the really important thing to come away from this is the idea that when we are stressed, our brain interprets that to mean that there's an actual threat to our lives. It's a very primitive um, response that our brain has when we're stressed. And that's maybe worth emphasizing. When we get stressed, our brain interprets that to be fear. And fear means that there's a threat to your life. So your brain focuses on the stress itself. So if you're running late, and you're worried you're going to miss that job interview or you're going to get to work on time, your total brain activity now is focused on being sure to get to work on time. Right. And, and it's considered urgent by every part of your brain. Well, if there's something small going on, like you know, today you've got to bring a briefcase to work that you wouldn't normally do, well, that briefcase gets lost in the noise. Um, and so you are going through the, the focus, which is the stress, and that's what your brain wants to do. It wants to get you to work on time. Um, and so if your normal routine, again, is to go straight from home to work, well, then your brain now will focus even more on that. And it'll let your basal ganglia sort of become more in charge. Uh-huh. It wants your habit system to become even more activated so then you can focus on whatever is causing you to be stressed. And it's under these stress conditions we do find that it's more likely that the parents will be forgetting their children.
2: Mm. So, so, I mean, I guess that's part of it, too. I mean, pay close attention to... Making sure you, you give yourself enough time that you're thinking things through, that might diminish some of these well, issues as well. Know, I
7: don't think people can say, well, I'm stressed today, therefore I'm going to forget my child. Right, no. Or I had a poor night's sleep, which we also know if you don't have a good night's sleep, you'll have more impaired functioning of your prospective memory system. You're more likely to forget a plan and your basal ganglia gets more activated if we don't have a good night's sleep. So people are not going to say, well, I had a lousy night's sleep, so I'm going to forget my child. Right. We, we sort of have to work in realistic limits. What I'm suggesting is, first of all, have a backup plan always ready to go. If the child doesn't arrive where it's expected, have them call right away. Um, that way it's out of your hands. And the second is always just make it a habit to have something of the child's in your full view. See, this is a really terrible thing about having an infant placed away from the parent's view. Mm-hmm. And you have an infant facing away from the parent, and a child is sleeping. So what you've got now is a child out of view, out of sight, out of
2: mind. Mm-hmm.
7: And that's the real serious problem. This never happened when children were in the front seat.
2: Yeah, bouncing all over. Yeah.
7: They, well, I mean, the thing is, even if they were sitting there sleeping, right? I mean, when you've got a child in the front seat, you, obviously there's the cue right there. Yeah. Uh, but because of the airbags, now the children had to be put in the back seat out of view, out of sight, out of sight out, and you don't hear them as well. And that's when this all developed, because now parent, the, you don't see the child, you don't hear the child. And this always happens with a sleeping child. I mean, if there's any interaction between the parent and child, this doesn't happen. It's pretty obvious.
2: Wow, and what I love though about your your uh, insight into this dr. Diamond is is too the compassion we need to have for the majority of those parents this was, this was a devastating event for these parents.
7: Yeah, that's the other thing about this. Not only is there the devastation. I mean a parent has to live the rest of his or her life knowing that his inaction causes his child to die. Uh, that enough is traumatic. Uh, Then you have two things that make it so much worse. Often, right away, these parents are taken right to jail. I mean, some parents, and I know one parent who has been in jail ever since he forgot his child, Uh, the parents are then charged with manslaughter or Mm. murder. And so that's one factor. They're facing the possibility of of life in in prison. Uh, And the second is, I have seen such this cruel and venomous comments online in yeah. which people have just judged these parents so harshly. Uh, and I know that's the easiest thing to do. It's like, I'm a good parent, you're a terrible parent, um, you should have to die in a car the way your child did. I mean, I hear these comments right. so often. And and to me, it's just uh, such a great sign of insensitivity um, and and denial. Well,
2: I think I think you've helped us with that, too, is this is a human issue, and it can happen to anybody, um, and we need to be sensitive. And, and, and pay attention, I think, too. And just, and I guess, do whatever we can. Set up the cues. Um, make sure we've, we've asked our daycare providers to help us to make sure. If they're not there, give us a call. But, uh, Dr. David Diamond, thank you for your research as well and your, your great insight into this.
7: Uh, you're very welcome. I could just one last thing to say is uh, great organization, org. Yeah. I would say they have great information on this, and we need to get this mandated in all cars.
2: You bet. I love that idea. Thank you so much, Dr. David Diamond. Go check out kidsincarsaswell.com, uh, and uh, let's take care of each other, folks. And give each other places space to grow, to learn, to think. And don't be part of the problem. Let's be part of the solution. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
1: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's
2: Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball, friends. Hey, welcome to the Coach's Corner. You know, we do. We watch these shows or these television news moments where we hear of a child in a car or lately it's even been animals. Um, I mean, it's always been animals. But now people are, these kids are dying, right? And apparently... We are at a higher rate of deaths with children in cars this year than um, last year. We've already passed last year's totals of death of children in, in, these, in cars that were left in cars. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to focus on this topic. Also, I want you to notice that um, how quickly we are to judge and to be uh, so angry because of the innocence, right, of these these children. They didn't do anything. They didn't. They were innocent here. But one of the things to remember what uh, Dr. Diamond was teaching us, there's very universal issues at play here. And you have memory and you have battling kind of dueling purposes in your memory. One memory is there to get you habitually to just keep doing the things you do, and another is, you know, the, the perspective memory to get you to, re, you know, don't forget this. But as for as mad as you are about somebody leaving, um, another parent leaving their child in the car, and you can't explain that or understand it, how many times have you personally been driving down the road habitually in your habitual uh, memory and you don't even remember driving somewhere you just got in the car and went to grandma's and put it on autopilot and just think about that lack of awareness right think about what happens when you get in autopilot yeah sure you'll never forget your child in the car but you will drive 75 kind of brainlessly and not and you know and be thinking of something else so as quick as we are to all judge somebody that makes a mistake like that and that's a i'm not i don't want to diminish that that's an enormous mistake and it is a mistake we can't make but people do and they will statistically you know millions of parents they're going to make mistakes um but your need to then crucify this person your need to then diminish them, to beat them up, and to get online and make comments like you're informed. Like you would never make a mistake like that. I promise you, if we followed you long enough, you have. You do. All the time. If you forget your phone somewhere, if you forget to pick a child up from something, if, you, if you've, you're if you you going to make a mistake... And that's the hard thing about being a human on this earth is we make mistakes and not all mistakes that we make are equal. Sometimes you make a mistake driving and you accidentally kill somebody and it ruins your life. And it's a mistake. It's a pure, simple mistake. So people make mistakes. Let's, let's just recognize that you're part of that group, right? You're not part of the deity and God that doesn't make the mistake. You're part of the group that makes mistakes. So be careful how you judge one another, right? Just simple, simple church stuff right there. We'll take a break, my friends. Uh, Got a great uh, next hour. More interesting insights about how how to see the big picture in your life. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back helping you live longer, healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: This
0: is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And uh, you know what? It's it's a special morning today because it is Hug Holiday Day. The day you get a hug. Even Ben is going to get a hug today from Terry. Terry,
4: that, let's just I'm going to bet on it.
2: We can celebrate the holiday without hugging. Very unlikely. Hug Holiday Day. Uh, why, why don't you guys just get into the festivities?
4: Just... I think he's going to hurt me if I try and give him a
2: hug. Don't just try it. He won't hurt you. Not a hugger. He's full of love. Terry's not a hugger. He has
4: been known to cry. So like,
5: just at Kleenex commercials. You're, yeah. It's different.
2: You're at you're at odds with yourself because you'll cry at a Kleenex commercial, mm. but you won't hug your board off. This is true.
5: I'm not really at odds with anything.
2: <laughs> Thank heavens, though. Hey, it's hug holiday. It's also camera day. This is the day we take pictures
5: we remember the time when a camera was not our phone
2: yeah those were the days i told you i uh i have a twelve hundred dollar camera that i bought i don't know eight years ago seven years ago yeah guess how much it's worth did i tell you five dollars five bucks five bucks
5: and now if you buy a twelve hundred dollar camera it might be the probably the same resolution as you have on your phone
2: i know why 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 are people buying cameras
5: uh they want a higher quality picture
2: that they say that
5: they look much better. If you buy an actual camera with a lens, it looks versus better. just your phone. It looks better because the components are better.
2: Well, and there's not a thumbprint on that the too. lens. That too, and you know some gravy.
5: But for most people, lunch they can get a quality picture out of their phone.
2: Yeah, yeah. I hate pictures. <laughs> I think if God had wanted Do you us hate to have taking pictures or being in the picture. Yeah, I don't like either of them. I don't know why. I don't like being in pictures. I feel like it stills my soul. Wow. I feel like every picture takes a little bit of my soul. So
5: Okay. Good, good to know.
2: Not to get all deep on you like that. Hey, we got a great show coming up. We are going to be talking about the big picture in your life. Do you have kind of the big picture of what your life's about? Because I've always kind of known in a big picture way what I wanted to do with my life Hmm. ever since I was a kid.
5: Big ball of yarn?
2: Yeah. Okay. Kind of. More like a big race car. I was going to be a race car driver. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that didn't happen. So then I was going to be an EMT or a paramedic. That explains
5: how you drive on the freeway. Totally. I tried following you one day out of the office. Never going to happen. You were gone.
2: No, it's never going to happen.
5: You ran that red light and it was over.
2: I got four cylinders, man. (laughs) Hammering. They're just
5: hammering
2: all the way home. That's what my car sounds like. But it's great for gas mileage when you're commuting. Yes. As far as we do. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Don't even try to keep up with me. Did you see me put my gloves on? No. I have gloves. gloves. Because I went to Europe and everyone in Europe, they they like to take driving seriously. So they glove up some of them.
5: Mike, I got a V6. I could catch him and you were just gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So much speed out of that little go-kart you drive. Totally.
2: I wouldn't call it a go-kart. Yeah,
5: it's a little overstated.
2: It's a Honda. More
5: of a scooter. It's
2: more... <laughs> it's, it's...
4: No. V- it's, 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 v- it's, v- Terry, it's a Honda. It's a lawnmower. I know. I know. It's a lawnmower.
5: I didn't want to go lawnmower. I thought scooter was a better way. You yeah, guys are rude. Damaging his ego. And not a race car driver.
2: Not anymore.
4: Hey, they race lawnmowers in England.
2: They do. Honda the racing team is a very successful racing team. They don't do. even mess. I just don't, I don't think they're in NASCAR. Toyota is. Are they? Yeah. I don't think Honda's made the leap. Maybe. They, I'm sure they have. We'll get a call.
5: I don't know uh, if the, the Accord is quite your, your racing vehicle of choice.
2: No, but you know what? Criminals love it. Do they? they it's like, like the, the most
5: stolen yeah. car around
2: comes up every year. I leave mine out with it running and no one will take it.
5: <laughs> the keys are in. It. I, windows
2: are down. It's running. Big sign. Light on top. Blue light special. No, I'm going to drive that thing into the ground. All right. Uh, so we will be talking with um, a great guest about her book, The Big Picture, a guide to finding your purpose in life. So if you're sitting there thinking, ah, I don't want to just make ice cream my whole life. Mm. There's got to be more to life than – ice cream is there really then you need to listen up Hmm. yeah the question will be answered so we will get to that and it's yes but plus a lot of other fun and excitement of course but first let's get to the headlines with caitlin thomas caitlin what's going on around the rest of the country
6: okay sorry matt responding to the newly released report from republicans on the Benghazi committee, Hillary Clinton on Tuesday said it's proof that the issue should be put to rest once and for all. She says, I think it's pretty clear it's time to move on. She said at a campaign event in Denver, House Republicans on the Benghazi committee released an 800-page report Tuesday faulting the Obama administration for its handling of the 2012 attack in Benghazi, Libya. A slight improvement in Donald Trump's poll numbers has him neck and neck, with Hillary Clinton less than a month out from the beginning of the general election season. A university that was released today gives Clinton a slight edge of 42% to Trump's 40%. Now, Trump lagged four points behind Clinton at the beginning of June. 61% of voters also believe that the competition between the two candidates is leading to the increase of hate and prejudice in the United States. The world's top golfer, Jason Day, announced Tuesday that he will not be playing in the upcoming Rio Olympic Games because of concerns about the Zika virus. The Australian golfer said in a statement released on Tuesday that while the Olympics has long been a dream of his, family comes first. Um, Day is the fifth golfer to back out of the games because of concerns about the mosquito-borne illness, which has been linked to birth defects. So that's unfortunate. A third baby and the first in Florida with Zika-related, microcephaly, has been born in the U.S. So Florida Governor Rick Scott announced the birth Tuesday. According to the Miami Herald, the baby was born to a woman from Haiti who contracted Zika while outside the United States. She traveled to Florida to give birth. Babies with Zika-related microcephaly have also been born in New Jersey and Hawaii. Both of the mothers contracted Zika well outside the United States. In fact, there are still no known cases of mosquitoes spreading the virus in the United States. And last but not least, Matt. Yes. Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo has signed legislation that requires elementary school kids to give at least 20 consecutive minutes of recess. Yes! to find as free play every day. The law signed Monday also allows schools to consider recess instructional time so they don't have to make the school day any longer to meet the requirements because this now counts as instruction. An earlier version of the <laughs> bill wanted to ban teachers from taking away recess from kids as a form of punishment. But that was dropped in a compromise and the law now asks teachers to make a good faith effort to not keep students from recess. So go to recess, kids.
2: Wow, the kids are...
6: I think all the kids are happy. I'd be happy.
2: You need recess. We we don't ever get a recess here at BYU Broadcasting unless there's a fire alarm drill. Is that our that's, equivalent? That's like recess. We all stand
5: in the parking lot uh-huh. like, are
2: we done yet? But you know what I did? I pulled out of my trunk a four-square ball, and we all started, started playing four-square. That was I, fun.
4: I forgot to bring the chalk. I'll do that next time. You know
2: who plays four-square incredibly well? Scott Swafford and Derek Markey. Mm. Those two, they put they they call it a spinner. They put a little spin on the ball, and you're chasing the ball all the way down the driveway. I
4: didn't know that move was allowed in, in the Notice. BYU broadcasting. Notice
2: in version. professional, yeah, it's at the professional level of Foursquare. Oh yeah, in, in that
5: they're still wearing their ties.
2: Yeah, okay, <laughs> still wearing their ties, still wearing their suits. You got to look good. Some wingtips. Yeah.
5: Gives you extra traction on It's hard,
2: by the way. I went to a private school, not to brag. Yeah. Mm. But I I played four square in wingtips. Okay. And a tie.
5: We always turned four square into dodgeball.
2: Oh, did you? So yeah. you were a bully.
5: Well, on some level, sure. I think, it, was I think
2: it like, because, yeah. yeah, I probably would like put the spin on you. You'd like cross over, fall, then you'd pick the ball up, and it's all of a sudden. Whatever. I would. What they used to call it? Hmm. Remember where you just start throwing balls? Everybody gets to tackle one person, and the person runs
5: in the middle, and everyone starts tackling them. Yeah. What do they, they call that? They outlawed that because people kept getting hurt.
4: Yeah. I perfected the cherry bomb. I was pretty proud of that.
2: You did? Yeah. What's that? Do you mean the real bomb?
4: No, 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 no. So it's like a move in four square where you, where you hit the ball against the ground as hard as you can, yeah. and it just flies straight up. It's... Yeah. It's almost you call that a cherry bomb. Yeah.
2: It's. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would I could have it. You
4: can't combat against it. It's, yes,
2: you can. Yes, you can. Back in my day, back before plantar, we call it P, P pre plantar. Hmm. I could have chased down anything. In fact, I did many times.
4: <sighs> I have to disagree. More. I got to
2: tell you a story about. Birmingham, Alabama police officers. We love the police. They're saving lives constantly. They've had some bad press in the last few years. That's just a small, small percentage of them. A police officer, listen to this, dashed into the woods all by himself to search for a man who called in 911 saying that he had ran into the forest to escape two armed men. And now he was lost in the forest. The gunmen, by the way, were never found, and the officer soon located the distressed caller, but now neither of them could then find their way out of the forest.
8: Recalculating.
2: <laughs> so the cop is stuck in the forest with this guy. They were lost for three hours.
9: Hmm.
2: Now. Puff- then, then they send in a canine unit, okay, and the dog just finds him. Of course, sure, tracks him down. So they come out. What do you say?
5: You've been lost for three hours. You, well, you, you, were were lost you, the police was officer, are searching for somebody else.
2: Do you hold a press conference? No, he did. No, he didn't. Because what do you say? Yeah. I'm so not. his, but his lieutenant tried to like cover up and say this is what happened you know the woods are very difficult to walk through the officer was trying to clear a path here clear a path there got turned around a little bit what do you say Hmm.
5: it is kind of embarrassing
2: it damn woods are thick (laughs) there's just no way out of it you just got to come out and say okay
5: so what would you do
2: well what i would do is call Okay. Like the guy did. Yeah. And get someone else to come get you. But that guy should leave crumbs. Okay. Like a trail right. of breadcrumbs. And then you – I've heard this somewhere. I think it was in like a scout book. <laughs> and you leave a trail of crumbs and then when they find you, you could all just follow it out.
5: You Know what I mean? Unless the birds would eat the breadcrumbs.
2: Yeah. I'm,
4: I'm more of a fan when I leave – Trails, I I usually leave jelly beans. Mm, that's true birds, then, birds
2: probably aren't going to eat a jelly beans.
4: And, and when you come back, you have a treat. to... Well, what you'd
2: have to do if you're going to leave breadcrumbs, your yeah, you're have to if you're going to leave the breadcrumbs, you got to kill the birds on the way in. That's Shoot true. Birds. Okay. You could leave a trail of birds. Yeah, this
5: is getting complicated.
2: Yeah, the bread you're, now crumbs, hun- you're
5: now hunting. Do you have a maybe license? Maybe that
2: wasn't the scout. Maybe that wasn't a scout thing. Does,
5: may, sounds like Hansel and Gretel.
2: Yeah, I've never met them, but yeah. that would be. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably just take a rope, just string a rope out with you. You could do that. Um, just a couple of miles. You could of rope. try
5: to pay attention to where you are. A compass. Yeah, a compass would take work. Take a
2: compass, but shouldn't the guy just call about an you know fifteen, you know twenty minutes into being lost? You ought to just call. oh jeez. Well,
5: Well, you know, he probably thought about that and then thought about the ramifications. Then the other side, the man's side of his brain is like, no, you're
2: not doing that. Right. You can find this.
5: Right. It's not that hard.
2: Nobody even knows you're lost yet. Yeah. Let's go a couple hours. Then they'll know. Man.
5: How far off the road was he?
2: (laughs) He's like eight feet. No, I don't know. They don't know. They don't Wow.
5: That's embarrassing. It's sad.
2: I mean, but again, he was found. So it it was success. I just don't know. I mean, you can't be mad at him. Well, But you know, when the guy comes out of the woods and they're going to hold a press conference, but they're not identifying who he is, you know who he is because he's the guy with, like, poison ivy all over his body.
5: Right. You'd want to minimize the story. Yeah. You don't want to, like, there's no reason to publicize it, is there?
2: No. But once the press are there.
5: Say no comment. Keep I mean, I, would, I would walk
2: out, and if the press were there for a presser, I'd probably just walk right back into the woods. <laughs> Turn around and leave. I mean, it's worth being lost a little bit longer. We're fine. We're fine. Nothing to see here. Wow. Anyway, it could be worse. Our job is never that difficult. Um and what that's what's great about our job too is we we are very clear about what our purpose is.
5: The hallways around here are kind of like a, a maze you'd run a mouse through. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I feel is there like the cheese is going to be the end of the hallway, uh-huh. and it's just you yeah. in your office. I'm
2: always there, right there at the end of the hallway. There's a
5: cheesy grin, but mm-hmm. that's different.
2: And I'm always twitching. Have you yeah. ever notice that I'm just in my room twitching?
5: I got way loss this morning.
2: You did?
4: Yeah,
5: yeah. He's out there walking around the lobby. I'm like, no, studio's over here. What's You're going doing? the wrong way. He goes. Oh, I have something to go get. He goes. You're going to get lost. Get back in the studio. Yeah, we're like five minutes. I couldn't. Was he my eating way.
2: jelly beans? Mm, maybe a trail? a trail of jelly beans. Man, I hate it when we get when we lose our little board up. Folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're talking about the big picture. Do you feel like you have a pretty clear view of what your life and purpose is in life? You know what your life is about. Stick with us. We're going to go in deep, find out uh, some tricks of the trade to to identify your purpose. See if we can't get you all maybe you know more connected to that compass, so you don't get lost in the woods of life. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, more than 86% of young adults say that making decisions in line with their purpose is what makes them an adult. But only 43% say that they have a clear picture of what they actually want in life. So how can millennials coming into their adulthood find their purpose and find a path that fulfills that purpose here to show us the way to do that and to answer some of these interesting questions is Kristen we- Christine Whelan. She is a, uh, a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She's been on the show before and is the author of the book, The Big Picture, A Guide to Finding Your Purpose in Life. Dr. Christine Whelan, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Thanks so much. Good to be here.
2: Great to have you. And uh, this topic seriously interests me because I always felt like I was kind of Uh, drawn to my purpose. I always kind of felt like I knew what it was. I didn't know every detail of it, but I had a good picture of what I wanted my life to work like. But I noticed that that's not for everybody. A lot, most people, in fact, probably don't have that sense.
0: That's right. And so when I'm talking to young adults in particular, I talk about the idea of a purpose mindset. So rather than coming up with a singular purpose, think about the, the purpose mindset, meaning First of all, what do you care about? What are your values? What are you good at? And how can you use the things that you're good at in keeping with your values to impact the people that you care about? Mm. And that kind of gets you into a purpose mindset. And you can live it in various different ways at various different times. And then you know, probably when you're in your 30s or 40s, maybe you look back and say, Aha, I see the thread that was going through all of that. And maybe then you're able to more uh, clearly articulate a more singular purpose. Mm. But really getting in that purpose mindset from the start in your teens and 20s will get you on a path to a really meaningful, thriving life.
2: So when you say the purpose mindset, that, that could just be almost situational, right? Or I guess d- dependent on my stage, my this year of school, this year of or this, these few months of summer.
0: However, your values and, um, and your strengths and your values are something that are going to be pretty consistent over time. Right. So when I, when I test this with my students, and I tested this workbook with more than 600 of my students over four years, and one of the, the big comments that they made was, gosh, nobody has ever asked me what I value. Nobody's ever given me the space to think about it in terms of of my beliefs, not my parents' beliefs, not my pastor's beliefs, but my beliefs. What what am I passionate about? And for all the parents and educators out there, there's really good news, which is that when you ask young people what they are are passionate about, what they value, you will be really heartened by their responses. I certainly have been over the years doing this with so many students. So they 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 tend to
2: parallel. Yeah, they parallel their parents.
0: Indeed, they have wonderful values, but when they state them themselves, that helps them own those values and really live them out in the world.
2: Mm. And, and the values, um, do, you, do you differentiate? So, I mean, the, the values, I guess, could be, do you like throw a list of values and choose the ones you like, or are these people just naming their own values?
0: Well, so I do. There's a, um, there's a, a researcher, Professor Schwartz, who uh, has done this uh, worldwide research on universal values. And so we do, I, in the book, I do offer the universal values list, Schwartz's values list. However, if people want to add to it or, or um, edit it to really better fit them, I encourage that. The one thing that I don't want is for somebody to say, well, my value is to be happy. Because yeah. that's not a value. That is a feeling that you'd like to feel, but actually happiness is a little bit more complex, right? There's, there's, uh, as Aristotle would say, there's hedonic happiness. There's happiness in the moment and happiness that feels good. And then there's eudaimonic happiness. There's long-term thriving. And when we talk about purpose and meaning and values, we're really talking about that long-term thriving, which is a kind of bigger and other-focused happiness. So that's why it's important also to think about who you want to impact.
2: Yeah, and is, um, so you've been doing this as, a, as an academic with your students, and um, what do you see happens to them? So for the 43% that maybe don't even have any connection to what their value system or a clear picture, what happens to them as, as they start to go through this process?
0: As uh, as as we tell our children, you know, I, that uh, when they when they find what they are called to do, it's like an egg inside them that cracks open and opens up. Yeah. And so I sort of think about this with my college students as well. It's like a part of them opens up, and they um and they they take ownership of their uh, of their adult lives and of their future. And it's so heartening for me to see because you know they, they would probably find that on their own at some point, but just think of all of the decisions that they may have made in error before then. So if you think about this early on in your twenties, you're really setting up a foundation for success. Also, it prevents you from making a big mistake that I made, which is the mixing up of goals and purpose. And so often we are tell kids, you know, you gotta get a good grade on the SATs or ACTs, you gotta get a good score and you gotta get into a good school. But those are goals. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is not to graduate from college. That's one of your goals as a stepping stone along the way. And when I was doing my doctorate, I really kind of thought that my purpose was to get my Ph.D. And on the night that I got my Ph.D., I was Dr. Wheel, and it was such, a, such an exciting event, or it should have been. But I went back to my room, and I burst into tears. Because I was still me. I was still yeah. the same person. I still had all the same problems. I still didn't have a boyfriend. And yeah,
2: but you did have this. debt.
0: <laughs> That's
2: right. Yeah. I had a lot of student debt, though. Yeah, but isn't that, it? Right. I had the same feeling where this is it?
0: Right. And so the reason why we had that feeling was because we mixed up goals yeah. and purpose. Yeah. And if I had realized at the time that my, that, that I had, I had, had a, a big milestone, it was a step toward reaching my purpose, but that my greater purpose was, was something bigger, I, I would have probably been able to celebrate. And so I tell that story to my students often, and uh, and I think that is another eye-opening experience to, to think about what are the stepping stones along the way and then what are, what is the larger why behind what they are doing.
2: So is help us understand then, um, is the passion understanding what my values are that I want to accomplish in this life, and that drives me to live a certain type of life that can really maybe be focused in any area, is that, is that what generates the passion, is knowing the values that leads to the passion, or is it being even more specific and knowing where I'll use those values specifically in my life, like in the field of medicine or in the field of, you know, psychology or whatever?
0: Yes, I I think it is. It it is trying to be as specific as possible while also knowing that life happens. Right. And another thing that I talk about is this wonderful theory called happenstance learning theory. And it basically is the theory behind that, that often quoted life happens. Yeah. Which is that, you know, you can make a lot of plans, but there's sometimes a wrench thrown in there or you don't get into that medical school program or, you know, right. Or, right. or another opportunity comes along and then what do you do? And this is where having a purpose mindset is so important because then you realize, okay, if perhaps I wanted to go to medical school, but, but maybe really what I want to do is help people and educate people in the field of medicine. Mm. And so could I do that in public health? Could I do that, um, you know, as, a, as, a, uh, as an educator? Can I do that? You know, where, where are the various ways that I might be called to do that? And having that purpose mindset really opens up many, many more doors and allows you to kind of go with the flow of, yeah. uh, of life as it, as it happens.
2: And adapt. I
8: talk
0: about purpose as um, I have this, this quote that I really love these days. And when I, th- I say with purpose, you have to your why needs to be bigger than your butt oh yeah, and what that means is your why, your purpose, your reason for doing something needs to be bigger than all of the excuses right that come along the way, all those buts, but i can 't do this but i 'm not smart enough, but i 'm not this or that
2: because once you once you uh, know the why you'll you 'll be able to i guess have the energy the direction, the purpose the foresight, the insight, the inspiration to to kind of weave your way through what would be an excuse.
0: Absolutely. And I want to say for anybody out there who is listening, saying, yeah, all this sounds great, but um, putting together a purpose is very daunting and scary. Um, I I had that thought, too. Perhaps you have. The... uh, the The one thing that I do in in the book is I break it down into really small steps, because there's a lot of research that shows that if you break things down into small, fun, user-friendly steps, then it boosts people's feeling of accomplishment along the way. And all of a sudden, you create kind of a Mad Libs purpose statement. You put all of these pieces together, and you have a draft of a purpose statement. It's not perfect by any stretch. But at least you've got really the building blocks of it, and then you can craft it, which is a much less daunting process than, you know, sitting there on a summer afternoon thinking, what is my purpose yeah. in life? I've got to
2: get my purpose by noon. That's
0: <laughs> yeah. right. That's right. Yeah,
2: that, that's a great way to look at it because you you really – it almost has to appear, right? So you need to, like, chip away some here, chip away over here, just slowly chip it away, and then all of a exactly. sudden it'll start to exactly. appear.
0: Exactly. And then it uh, and 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 then it appears, and uh, and it very well may be something that you craft and grow and change over time.
2: Hmm. Does it have Which to is, be written down?
0: Well, the research is pretty compelling that if you write something down, you are much more likely to live it. You're much more likely to accomplish it. So one uh, one fun thing that I might recommend doing is for all of us who have smartphones if, um, you know, there are all these great apps where you can create images out of quotes.
2: Right, yeah, memes, yeah.
0: Exactly. So if you take, so if you come up, draft a purpose statement using the small steps approach, put it into a pretty quote and make it the screensaver on your phone. So every time you open up your phone, you are reminded
8: That's great. of this
0: quote. And it's just something that uh, that is it, that in the back of your mind that it keeps keeps with you. Then you may make some different and, uh, and and more purpose-based decisions along the way. Yeah,
2: oh, that's I mean that's that's easy. Right. And for some people, that's really easy. Um, But again, I think the process is going to be so helpful. And let's take a break again. We're speaking with Dr. Christine Whelan, and she is the author of the book, The Big Picture, a guide to finding your purpose in life. We will take a break, come back, continue. And uh, we're going to ask Christine to give us some some steps, some some activities that we can do to start to chip away and find that purpose. That meaningful, uh, you know, driving purpose that uh, that can guide our lives. So stick with us. We'll continue the exploration, hopefully to help you find the good in you. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What is your purpose in life? So if somebody came and stuck a microphone right in your face, asked you, what is the purpose of your life? What would you say? Would you have a, Would you have an answer? And would your answer be something that you truly, deeply, profoundly believe in because you've thought it out? You've maybe even worked it out to the point that you've got it in this perfect sentence that motivates you, that drives you? Um. Or, I mean, at least are you on the way to knowing the answer? The, the guest we're talking with today is Dr. Christine Whelan. She is a professor, a clinical professor in the School of Human Ecology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and is the author of the book, The Big Picture, A Guide to Finding Your Purpose in Life. And uh, she right now has been teaching us uh, and is going to continue to teach us about how to track that purpose down. Christine Whelan, welcome back to the show.
0: Thanks so much.
2: How do we do it? How do I, what are some activities, some things that I can do or anybody really can sit down and do to start to figure out their big picture?
0: All right. So the first thing, there, sort of, there's a three-step purpose statement that, um, that is the, probably the simplest way to really get started. Three questions. First of all, what are your talents? What are you good at? So if you list three of those, if you list your three talents, Then what do I care about? So list three values that you care about. And then think about the groups of people or the the types of people or the causes that you are interested in impacting. Hmm. And then you put it together. With my talents, A, B, and C, I will live my values for X, Y, and Z by impacting these groups. Hmm. And and it is a, um, I mean, you can do this, and this is a 10-minute exercise. Done, done,
2: done, right, fast.
0: Right, you could do this while you're, while you're riding a bike. Right. And you think about that, and certainly this is not the most poetic purpose statement, yeah. but it gets you a big chunk of the way toward thinking about what matters most to you. And, you know, the other realization that a lot of people will have while doing this exercise is, gosh, that is what matters to me, but that's not how I'm living right now. Hmm. And so one of the exercises that we do in, in the big picture, which um, folks say, gosh, are you really do- doing such a dark exercise? But I do what we call the tombstone exercise. Yeah, Where you sit down and you think about the epithet on your tombstone. What would you want to say? You know, Matt Townsend was a person who? Fill in the blank. Yeah. And if you think about it that way, then you have this moment, you, you c- create something. And so one of the things that I was thinking that if you, know, you wanted to be pithy for me, I would say that Christine Whelan was a person who gave as much as she received. I've been given all sorts of blessings in my life, and I try to give equally out into the world. Yeah. And so if I say that, well then, okay, am I living that today? Did I live that yesterday? Am, are my actions really in keeping with my professed purpose? And I don't know about you, but often I fall short. Right,
2: no. We're not, it's, we're not doing it.
0: No, we're not doing it. And you can think about, would your friends, would your family say that about you in eulogies at your funeral? And, you know, it, death is something that we don't talk and think about a lot, but really it is the, the finite nature of life gives us purpose here on Earth, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and we are called to do wonderful things here on Earth. And I really believe that all of us have a purpose, and uh, discovering it and living it helps us pass on our gifts so that it, they, they outlive our time here on Earth.
2: Yeah, it becomes our legacy, right?
0: Indeed. There is a purpose writer, Barbara Bram, who says that it's no surprise that passion... Uh, when people talk about pur- purpose, they often talk about passion. And she says, because passion, the word passion, has the ideas of purpose in it. It's about passing the I on. Pass the I on. Wow. And that's what we do with purpose. But she says that, that I in passion is lowercase. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about passing. It's not the, the Christine show. It's about passing those gifts through me to make the world a better place. And so purpose at its very nature is pro-social. And what that means is that it involves other people. And uh, and, and so when, that's why part of that little three-step purpose statement, you think about what you're good at, your talents, you think about your values, and then you think about who you want to impact.
2: What, what happens, and have you ever seen this, Christine, where somebody's going, it almost seems like this process is iterative and then every version, even as you go through life, you might dig Mm -hmm. deeper and deeper and the principles might grab deep or the values might grab deeper into your life. Um, But what happens if you if you're doing the process at first, and it's, it's quite shallow, right? So what what you think your talents are at 18 may not be, you know, kind of your life talents that are going to carry it in 90. Or what sure. what what your values are at eighteen or nineteen aren't as deep as maybe they might be, or as focused as they might be at forty. Or maybe you're who you want to help is myself, me, and I. Uh, those are the three people I really most want to help. But so does does the process that they go through in your book does it naturally kind of try to does it elicit their best self?
0: Yes. Yeah. So having the people that you want to impact is you know me and I and, and, yeah. and that is, that, that's, that's not part of purpose. right? Because, that is, because really purpose is prosocial, right? So right. It, is, it is outward focused and involves other people. So that's why when people say my purpose is to be happy, no. No, yeah, that's no. not your purpose. Hopefully you will be happy along the way, but also when you're living with purpose, you're gonna have moments that aren't really very fun. You know when you're working toward a goal, Sometimes you got to do some tough stuff. Right. But the reason why you do it is because you have the larger why in mind. Now, you know, this also, we also, when we talk about purpose, it all sounds very lofty, but we can bring it down to some pretty specific things, too. When you're thinking about a major, you can think about what your interests are and who you want to help and what you want to do with that degree when you're thinking about what kind of job you want to take you can think about the values of the company you can think about what the company is producing or who you're interacting with and as i tell my graduating seniors a great way to ace a job interview is to really adapt that purpose statement in the interview you would say i'm going to use my talents for this this and that Hmm. Because I've to, – uh, to really work with the company values of A, B, and C so that we can better impact these customers, these clients, make this change. And as an employer, wouldn't you be impressed? Oh, though? yeah.
2: Well, in the mere <laughs> and fact again, you've thought it that? through, and, right? And then if you can, in your interview, share, the, share how your purpose is tied to their purpose, wow.
0: Indeed. Indeed. And you know your purpose changes over time, and this is something that, for me personally, uh, has been um, has been interesting. So I uh, I now have a she'll turn five tomorrow. Um, I have a five year old, an almost three year old, and an almost one year old. Hmm. And so my purpose, really, in the first part of my career, was very much focused on educating others and um, and a big career. And now my primary purpose is around certainly educating others, but also educating my children and having these conversations within my home, not only outside my home. Right. And so the, the the core purpose of educating and translating research to be applicable into people's lives, that is still happening. It's just that right now the people that I most want to impact are these little people in my home. Yeah. Um, in addition to my students, certainly. But, you know, you can see how if these, 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 your impact groups change over time and that's okay. That's a, I think that's
2: ideal. Well, and actually it's it's so empowering to your kids too because mom isn't you're not just an employee somewhere and you're not just, you know, you're not any one thing. You are this you are a, a conglomerate of a bunch of talents and gifts focused on a purpose. What could be more valuable to help your kids find than their purpose, than their you know, than their big picture?
0: I hope so. You know, we do talk about that a lot around the house.
2: I bet. It really is. It's the, and it seems like this is so pie in the sky, except the reality is the research backs it all, right? And so it's, this isn't just wishful thinking anymore. This is about actually identifying what makes you, in the end, it is what will make you happy.
0: Yes, happy in that long term, thriving, well being sort of happiness. Not, that, not necessarily just that in the moment. Happening.
2: Yeah, it won't always be pleasurable. It, That's right. Sometimes, but it will, be, it will be where you're supposed to be.
0: But hopefully it'll also be pretty fun along the way, too. Yeah,
2: it'll have those little moments, won't
0: it? mm mm-hmm.
2: it, I mean, again, it's, it, it's a process, right? And it's something that I, I, can, I can see some people that would worry more about making it perfect than just being connected to
0: it. Yeah, and and you know the other thing is you don't have to do this in a vacuum. It's wonderful to do a little draft and then share it with mentors. One of the chapters in my book is about your sort of supporting cast in creating the documentary of your life, the purpose-based documentary of your life. You don't do it alone. So find the people who are mentors to you, people who you want to be like when you grow up, and I still have a lot of people that I want to. I say I want to be like you when I yeah. grow up. We never finished growing up, and uh, and and then at, run it by them. Ask oh. them. Ask them what their purpose is, and, and and talk about this. I mean, these are also things that you want to pray about if you're a person of faith. You know, you want to, You want to think about these and discern at every stage.
2: Yeah, and find and yeah, and connect it to all parts of your life and all all people of your life. That's beautiful stuff. Uh, Dr. Christine Whelan, thank you so much for your insight and for being with us today.
0: Well, thank you so much. And I just want to say for all of your young readers out there, if um, if they are interested in joining the Big Picture Purpose Contest, we are giving out $500 Ooh. to a uh, for young adults to live their purpose. All they need to do is give us a picture and, a, and 250 words on their purpose and their ideas. And the, uh, oh, that's cool. Tomorrow,
2: yeah. So, oh, it does close tomorrow. So, do, just, do they so go yeah, to the Big Picture uh, Life? Month,
0: this month, yeah. So, the Big Picture Life slash contest, and this month's entry closes tomorrow. You can enter into the July entry starting July one.
2: Awesome, good stuff. Appreciate it, Christine. Thank you so much for that, and uh, everybody, go check it out at the Big Picture Life. Um, interesting stuff. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's hard. Vision. It's You got to have vision in your life, right? Because vision is going to tell you where you're going. You got to know where you are in relation to where you're going. And if you can figure that out, you're probably going to be able to keep moving along. You'll have progress in your life. So we found a story of a firefighter um, that had to free a man... In China, because he didn't quite have the right vision, right? He he was a little off as to um, if if he could fit inside of a washing machine or not. So a Chinese fire department uh, freed a man whose head became stuck inside a washing machine while he was attempting to repair the appliance. I mean, that happens. A lot of times you just get your head in there and then... You know, your body expands, and then you're stuck, I guess. Yeah. Well, the fire department said in a post online that the man became trapped Sunday when he put his head inside the washing machine. He was trying to look, you know, to see what exactly needed to be repaired. And uh, the rescue took about 40 minutes for them to get the man's head out of... (laughs) Out of the uh, washer. Now, I feel bad for the guy, because who doesn't get stuck somewhere, you know? So, as we are known to do, we actually have a video of the press conference, um, and we have a, a, we're going to have to translate it, because the press conference is in Chinese, and then we will translate it to English, and you'll be able to hear what the firefighters were saying about this man. So let's uh let's now go to the press conference.
3: Okay, so stop that.
2: And let's now so we have a translator, we have a machine um called the it's it's the Scottish translator. And we'll just Let's just play uh, the translated version of what they're saying about this man's head. Look at the size of
7: that boy's head. I'm not kidding. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Well, that's a huge noggin. It's a virtual planetoid. Has its own weather system. Wow.
4: I I think the press conference went on.
2: Is there more? Should we we play it a bit longer? Yeah. Yeah, play more.
3: Yeah. he's pointing a lot to the
2: guy's head
3: and he's holding up an orange and, and a toothpick
2: ok so there's more translate that part
9: I'm not kidding that boy's head's like Sputnik spherical but quick, pointy in parts
2: he'll be crying himself to sleep tonight on his huge pillow <laughs> oh, that's crazy. It's kind of rude. That's like a mean firefighter. <laughs> that's crazy. Okay. Wow. That's some interview. Well, we got to go. I mean, that's just feel so bad for the guy now. And then <laughs> an announcement like that that's rough. We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back uh bring you the news. We'll be right back.
3: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program and top of the morning to you. Man, this is the final hour, hour number three of the show if you if you didn't um, hear last hour, we we found a really great tool called the Scottish Translator. That uh, just go listen, go find it on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go listen to the last hour of the show. Actually, if you want to, you can just really just focus in on the last few minutes where we told the story about the guy that got his head stuck in a washer, a, a clothes washer. Fantastic stuff. We'll get to that. Uh, Probably I have a feeling it might come up again during our interview with BYU Sports Nation. So here's the day. We've got a big lineup for you. First, we will um, be getting to the news in a few minutes, but we're going to come back and uh, talk to a guy named uh, Dr. Sean Carroll, who wrote the book, The Serengeti Rules, The Quest to Discover How Life Works and Why It Matters, which is, uh, you know, it seems like no big deal. But here's a biologist that's going to explain to us about life's simplest questions and um, and how they impact our health, our planet, and why we should worry about you know what what we see in the animal world because it is teaching us so much about what life is about. Powerful uh, interview coming up there. Plus, we're going to visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. See what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Of course, we will have a hero of the day. We'll do that at the end of the program. And we'll be doing some headlines in just a few minutes. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas and find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up?
6: All right. Well, today, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is hosting U.S. President Obama and Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto in Ottawa for North American Leaders Summit that will focus on regional cooperation on trade and climate change. Obama will also deliver an address to Canada's parliament. Peña Nieto arrived in Canada early for a state visit, and he and Trudeau announced agreements to lower barriers between the two countries. With Obama, the three leaders are expected to announce a continent-wide climate change partnership aiming to produce 50% of North America's energy from renewable sources by 2025. During a campaign stop Tuesday in Ohio, Donald Trump said waterboarding is peanuts compared to acts committed by terrorists and waterboarding, isn't tough enough. Unfortunately, he continued, we have laws that prevent us from doing whatever we want against terrorists, even those who are, quote, chopping off people's heads. You have to fight fire with fire, he said. We have to be so strong. We have to fight so viciously and violently because we're dealing with violent people viciously. When his campaign was asked by NBC News if Trump was suggesting the United States conduct the same barbaric tactics employed by ISIS and other terrorist organizations, their question went unanswered. An Arizona couple has gone from reporting the news to becoming the news after their four-month-old baby tested positive for, get this, cocaine. Oro Valley Police say former Tucson TV reporters Kristen um, and Somchai took their baby to a hospital on May 15 as she was, quote, unable to wake up and her eyes were rolling. The couple refused a blood test, then left against medical advice went to another hospital and again denied a blood test. A urine test, however, tested positive for cocaine. Police said Kristen, the mom, 26, later admitted to breastfeeding the child 12 hours after using cocaine, but said she didn't believe the child would be affected. The husband, 42, also admitted to using cocaine about once every six weeks. And... Here's a sad story with a happy, kind of a happy tone to it for you, Matt. Byron McCaig was a devoted husband until the very end. The 81-year-old Anglican priest perished alongside his 90-year-old wife, Gladys, in Central California's Lake Isabella wildfire last week. And a neighbor tells the LA Times that he appears to have died trying to protect his wife. Bill Johnson found their bodies next to a fence near the burning remains of their home. They were together, he says, like he was blocking her from the fire. It made me sick, he says, because immediately I saw and knew exactly what had happened. They were alive and ran out of the burning fire, got stuck, and this is where they ended. Officials say the McKigs were overcome by smoke, but they appear to have been the only people killed by the massive blaze. The fire is still only 40% contained, and authorities warn that there could be more destruction if winds blow it back toward populated areas.
2: So Aww. There you go. That's a beautiful story, though. Seriously. <sighs> well, thank you, Caitlin. Um, man, tragedy, but... Beauty in the tragedy. Hmm. We got a great show for you today. Uh, the Serengeti rules. I guess these are the rules. If you would just go out and watch nature, you'd start to learn the rules of life. Why it matters. Why what. Why things happen the way they do. And maybe even that. Maybe there's some rules about that. Hmm. That death of that wonderful couple. By the way, it's hug. Holiday day. Today's the day that you are free, uh, of course, within limits hmm. to hug people.
5: Check your HR rules. Always before, check yeah.
2: HR rules. Uh, any handbooks from your organization that you're working with before you go hugging. And uh, based on some of the trials we've had and attended with Ben, mm-hmm. um, trials, good work. Trials, good word. yeah. If you've been asked not to hug people, there is a
5: legal nature to yeah. these meetings. Yes. Or
2: if you've also been asked to let. Like when people yell, let me go, hmm. you always let them go immediately. Awkward. Too long. Too yeah. long. Yeah.
5: Let go. Look. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's so a great point.
4: Anything more than 20 seconds is out.
2: Yeah. No, Ben, remember what the judge said. Well, both judges. Do you remember what they said? No. I... You're not allowed to be within 50 feet of anyone you want to hug. If you want to hug somebody, 50 foot rule, and you have to air hug.
4: <sighs> okay.
2: But for and the rest it, of you, those aren't your rules. You can you
5: can just live the normal rules.
4: Unless they like give me consent or no,
5: nope. They've even ruled out okay. consent because obviously that person doesn't know you. Yeah. If they knew you, they'd obviously not <laughs> trying to protect You've the general public. Sent. here. Okay.
2: Anywho, um, it's also Camera Day and Waffle Iron Day. Hmm. Mmm. Another angel got a waffle. In fact, we have video of an angel getting a waffle.
5: That's it. Hmm. It's weird, but okay. (laughs) Why is that weird? It's just kind of weird. I don't know why you would have that,
2: why that would represent. You you think when you die, you're not going to get any more waffles?
5: I think when I die that uh, tacos will be on the menu, but that's just me. You think tacos? Yes. No, I have it on good authority. Tacos will grow on trees Mm -hmm. and be in wide variety. They are the perfect food.
2: They are. I do not disagree. But waffles apparently are the perfect dessert. I knew a donkey that died, and he's in heaven, and he got waffles. In the morning, I'm
3: making waffles.
4: I think at St. Peter's Gate, it's Mm -hmm. going to be a giant waffle party. It's going to be a waffle truck. Like a waffle brunch, breakfast kind of thing.
2: Okay. Interesting. And free. All free. Well, yeah. For those getting into
5: heaven. It's all true.
2: Those that aren't getting into heaven, you have to have a waffle without any syrup. Yuck. Uh, Any headlines we need to pay attention to?
5: Um, A couple. We talked about Donald Trump and uh, who is being invited as a speaker and who isn't at the Republican Convention. Right. Who have we got? Um, Apparently, he's denying Mike Tyson. Oh, Even though reports are conflicted there. They're saying that Mike he Tyson is invited him, but now is he's invited not speaking. Him. But he's there. He says he didn't invite him. Somebody did. It's kind of confusing. No one's taking the uh the blame here. Also listed Mike Dicka, former Chicago Bears great and coach, uh former Hoosier coach Bobby Knight, also NASCAR chief Brian France, the guy that owns NASCAR. Really? Yeah, they've all endorsed Trump, so they would likely be there cuz they're notoriety. Huh. Of some level so the the CEO of NASCAR um also uh, he a few months ago he tweeted out who he wants to speak at the convention he goes he'd like to see uh Patriots quarterback Tom Brady who we've had photographs of him wearing the make America great ball cap in the locker Oh room. yeah okay yeah uh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger
2: wow okay
5: he likes both of those guys he, UFC the ultimate fighting championship president uh Dana White okay He'd like each of them to show up. Yeah, uh, they yeah. supporters and they'd like to have them speak. Roethlisberger from the Steelers quickly announced that he won't be at the convention, has no intention of becoming involved in politics. Um, yeah. So – and then huh. uh, Bloomberg reports some musicians that are booked by third-party groups to appear in Cleveland during the convention. Really? The Beach Boys. OK. Journey. OK. And the former poison frontman, Brent Michaels.
2: So are the, these are the Republican conservative – Singers, I'm assuming, because you're not going to. I would assume if you're a Democrat, you wouldn't go sing for the convention.
5: May, if the money's good, maybe you do.
2: Maybe you do. Maybe that's a great point. Is Hulk Hogan going to go anywhere? Is he going to be there?
5: You would think that that type of a, have uh, about Ozzy Osbourne? B or C celebrity would be all over the place because that's who's on what the Apprentice.
2: Yeah, Charlie Sheen. And celebrity
5: Apprentice, there? possibly. Who knows? He's a winner. <laughs> if you remember that whole episode. Yeah. In other news, yes. a Florida man. Okay. Because it's always a Florida man.
2: Nick Nolte? Is he going to be there? Could be. Okay.
5: He's been on the show, yes. Uh, a Florida man who says Apple ripped off his design for the iPhone is willing to let the matter drop for the modest sum of $10 billion. Wow. Plus 1.5% of the worldwide sales of the iPhone, iPod, and iPad. Wow. So this Florida guy, yeah. he invented the iPhone. That's what he says. Not Apple. Yes. Tom Ross, who filed a patent for his electronic reading device in 1982, has filed a lawsuit against the company claiming he has suffered great and irreparable injury and seeking a jury trial. Drawings submitted to the court include features standard on modern smartphones, including touchscreens, video browsing, Apple Insider reports. Ross apparently never got further than creating the drawings. So he didn't apply for patents. He didn't do anything like that to secure it. He just has the drawings.
2: So he was the – I guess he's saying he's the first guy to ever draw the iPhone.
5: Yeah. He filed for a patent in 92 but was declared abandoned in 95 by the patent office after he failed to pay the necessary fees.
2: He didn't design any of the software and any of the technology. He just drew – yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well – Hold on, because I think I drew a phone on a piece of cardboard mm-hmm. back in the day.
5: Right. So maybe you have a case. Who knows?
2: Yeah. How much is he asking for?
5: Uh, $10 $10 Plus 1.5% of worldwide sales of sure. the iPhone, iPod, and sure. iPad, whichever that would come out to. Also, uh, this notes Apple ended up paying $21 million to Swiss Federal Railways after the train company accused uh, Apple of ripping off the 1944 clock design that's used on their phones. Wow. That little icon for yeah, the yeah, clock.
4: Yeah, he ripped it. They
5: say, they, they, they say this bears a striking resemblance to our iconic clock, and they won the case $21 million. Really? Yeah. Well,
2: how many clock faces are there?
5: I Yeah. But oh, wow. patents and uh, copyrights you know and all
2: that. You know what? Technology. That's why... So $10 billion plus a
5: chunk of the worldwide sales.
2: Plus so technology. That's why sometimes it's better to just not have technology. Did you hear about this Manchester, New Hampshire guy who um, robbed a, a, a clerk mm. with a sharp rock? Okay. Right? So he... He didn't Uh, have
5: a gun. Was it a crime of opportunity? He didn't have a knife. He just happened to grab the first blunt objects nearby? by the way, a
2: sharp knife was probably one of the first, you know, uh, first weapons ever. Mm -hmm. So he's just going back to the early weapon. Yeah. And he went into a shop-and-go store... And uh, I guess what happened is a witness said the clerk and the robber got into a little tumble. They started uh, fighting with each other. Fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. Um, And then I guess the robber ran away and was crying Hmm. with the cash that he got. He was crying? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he was a sensitive, very sensitive robber. Interesting. Interesting and the gentleman who works here uh is struggling with some other guy this is a witness's statement with some other guy when they came out of the store the guy that works there was kind of beating him off with a little baton okay so i came running down here to see if he needed help but he was already running away crying holding his head that robber was crying holding his head hmm. and on the way out the robber apologized as he ran away and just said he needed the cash yeah so the question is hmm. Is it is that a is that a kinder gentler robbery when you get the best of the guy with the sharp rock? Right, he goes away crying. Okay, and apologizing.
4: I think he already paid his debt to
5: society. Well, I think it'll come up at his arraignment, <laughs> and he might get time for good you know time off for good behavior. Yeah, what do you think?
2: Uh, yeah, I think if you're really nice. Hmm. And emotional when you when you rob somebody. I think that needs to be counted. <laughs> Unless the tears were because he got Hit. whacked by a small baton.
5: Right. That could hurt. Oh, yeah. Especially those sparkly batons.
2: Aren't the batons the things that uh, like a, a chorister uses when they're leading music?
5: Well, There's, sometimes they call nightsticks The police yeah, have. Yeah, a
2: police baton. Yeah. But do you think it was a police baton or like a chorister's baton? I don't know. I don't know.
5: If it had streamers you, attached to it, then there's there's a question there. Oh, that would
2: make you cry. What happened to you? I got hit with a baton. With a
4: princess baton.
2: That, I, bet, I bet it was a big cop's baton. That's where I'm going. Anyway, um, the kinder, gentler robbery. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, joining us will be uh, Sean Carroll, Dr. Sean Carroll. He's a biologist, and he's the author of the book The Serengeti Rules Discovering how life works and why it matters. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever wondered how there seemed to be just the right amount of fish in the sea or just the right number of cells in our bodies? Has it ever crossed your mind how miraculous it all is? Is it just chance or is there some sort of, uh, you know, regulation behind it all? Is there some sort of, uh, you know, rule system? Is are there, ooh, are there rules, laws, something at play here? These seem like such simple fundamental questions, but they have a huge impact on our lives. Today, award-winning biologist uh, Dr. Sean Carroll joins us to discuss his book, The Serengeti Rules, and he tells us how the discoveries of these profoundly important questions matter for our health and the health of our planet that we depend on. Uh, Dr. Carroll, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. What, a, what an interesting – I loved watching your video about your trip to the Serengeti, a biologist that finally was able to get to the Serengeti. Take You took your family, and um, just the awe that you were in, that, it was fun. It was like you're a kid in a candy store.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was surprised by how surprised I was. Yeah. I mean, I had for decades wanted to go there and as a little kid I saw nature films just like everybody else and you know, you sort of think you've been prepared by, you know, watching TV or something and it was more awesome than I had imagined.
2: Oh, I bet. I I truly bet. And to have your and to see it then through your kids' eyes, is that what made you write the book The Serengeti Rules? What 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 was your purpose behind this? Um, maybe I When I hear you talk, I almost sense it was a family. Like you want to hand down these ideas so that the people know about it.
1: Well, yeah. I, well, let me – I'll be really honest with you. I, there I was, a professional biologist. Now, my biology has mostly been indoors. Yeah. I've studied life at the more invisible level of genes and cells and how bodies are made. And there I am on the magnificent Serengeti, and I'm looking around. And quite honestly, I didn't understand how it worked. <laughs> and that's you know that's what scientists want to know. We want to know how the world works. We want to know you know what makes things the way they are. You know what are sort of cause and effect right. in the world. And I'm I'm looking at you know the enormous number of wildebeest or you know majestic giraffe, and I don't know why there are so many of those and so few of something else. And I thought, well, does anybody know this? Uh, you know, I, I was sitting there; I just did not know what I was looking at, and I did not know what biologists knew about what I was. Oh, looking yeah. At. So that that prompted me to do some of my own homework and dig up what turned out to be a really large body of work. That yes, I've just been working on this for a while, and I thought I should share some of that <laughs> well, with the scary. world. Share some of their stories.
2: I mean, if you don't know, I mean, who knows, right? Well, One scientist in some room somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that it's it's very hard to spread discoveries across the world and that communicating what scientists have discovered and what it means is a you know is a really big and important job. It's what, something that I try to contribute to and here was a case where I thought it was some a great stories or gift wrap because you know these are really the storybook animals of our childhood, you know, uh, zebras and giraffes and lions and all right. that sort of stuff. So what a great place to understand how nature works in general. And that's one of the main themes of the book is that this every kind of major rule about how ecosystems work, how habitats work is on display in the Serengeti, but really every place is a Serengeti, whether it's a tide pool or your backyard garden, anywhere where you've got plants, things that eat plants, and things hmm. that eat the things that eat the plants, you've got a Serengeti.
2: Yeah. Oh, powerful. Talk to us. What are what are uh, what are some of the learnings? What are some of the rules?
1: Well, I think the first rule is, uh, and it comes to paraphrase uh, a a great zoologist, that um, um, some animals are more equal than others. Uh, (laughs) When you look out there, you might sort of think that everything has its sort of role and everything's sort of in balance. But it turns out that some creatures are more important than others, and without them, um, whole communities can unravel. And this was uh, discovered in the 1960s by a, a biologist, Bob Payne, and he discovered it, not on the Serengeti, he discovered it in uh, the coastal systems of the Pacific Northwestern United States. And when he removed predatory starfish from the rocks there, he saw that the community collapsed completely, that all sorts of creatures that were there and sort of coexisting um, disappeared and all you had left was basically a bed of mussels. And that gave us the idea called a keystone species. Same idea as a keystone in a Roman arch that mm-hmm. that 's the last stone at the top of the apex, and if you remove that keystone, you know the whole thing collapses and This has now been discovered again and again in the world that there are keystone species in all sorts of habitats that without them um, you know the community doesn 't work well and in the Serengeti of all things and i i'll, I'll get that this story takes a little second to get to, yeah. but you know we're so used to i mean if you watch a show on africa you know first 90 seconds you're going to see a cat chase a gazelle right, or something exactly. like that, right yeah. and that's what we've all come become used to but if you were to ask tony sinclair another biologist who's worked 50 years on the serengeti he said what makes the serengeti tick it, it's the animal nobody takes pictures of <laughs> it, it, it's the wildebeest Really? Um, It's a million wildebeests. They act like a million lawnmowers going across the Serengeti in a 600-mile circuit year-round. And it's that action, that mundane action of munching grass that essentially prepares the whole habitat and the whole system for all sorts of creatures, including the carnivores, but giraffes, butterflies, the trees, all that's influenced by the wildebeest. And uh, it took a long time to sort of figure that out. And I, I laughed about it when I told you the story, because when I wrote this book and needed pictures of wildebeests from our
2: African trip, <laughs> You couldn't find one.
1: Couldn't find them. I had giraffes. I had zebras. I had lions. But you just look right past them because they just, you know, they're not very charismatic. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah they're, they're, yeah, they're not the popular ones. Nobody's like, I want to be a wildebeest for Halloween.
1: No, you kind of figure that you know munching grass and you know being eaten by lions doesn't really you know define the, our our greatest aspirations. But as it turns out, migration this this huge migratory herd of a million wildebeest just has an enormous effect on how the Serengeti works. And um, you know that that's that's what humans have to appreciate is that we don't quite understand, you know, at first glance, at second glance, how something works, how what makes a forest healthy, what makes a, a lake healthy not necessarily obvious and we've got to do some experiments we've got to study things for a while and that's really important to our managing these places so that they can continue to produce what what humans demand
2: Mm. i mean that is the, the yeah just the idea of this keystone species i mean that is it's critical right so the wildebeest if they were destroyed the serengeti disappears
1: yeah it, it it would be it would have an, a, enormous problems and and you know you would you would sort of imagine you'd, you'd start having things sort of fragment you'd have uh really a whole lot of interactions change. You would have um, a lot more fire. All that fire will end up burning up more of the trees. You'd have fewer trees, which is less habitat for the birds, less cover for the carnivores. You'd actually have fewer butterflies. Um, You know, a whole domino series of events would happen. Um, You know, we don't really know what the ultimate outcome of that would be, but we certainly know that um, the whole landscape would change and the inhabitants with it.
2: Hmm. Uh one of the things too that you bring up I know early in the book is about regulation. And right. and one of the sections is about everything is regulated and there's rules to regulation. What do you mean by regulation? Like the regulation of the the existence of the animals or what?
1: The numbers, really. So if you if you ask well, let's just go to our bodies for for, for example. We all know, for example, that you know we got our cholesterol checked, we got our blood sugar checked, etc. Well, those things are kept by processes in our body are generally kept in a fairly narrow range. And when they get out of that range, we may either feel sick or we may know in the long run we may have some problems, diabetes, heart disease, etc. So there are processes in the body that govern the amount of virtually everything. There's probably 30,000 different substances in our bodies and Generally, they're made in fairly constant
8: amounts
1: (laughs) and kept in those ranges. And and when they get out of those ranges, we're usually the first to know it. We don't feel well. Something's wrong. Um, So that's understanding the rules of regulation in the body. What I mean by those rules is, you know, how do we keep um, blood sugar, you know, in in the right range? Um, Well, part of that answer is insulin, right? We discover the players that are part of this process for regulating things in the body. And the discovery of those players and the rules they play by has been huge for medicine over the last five or six decades. It's, it's just transformed the way we we do medicine and the way we try to keep ourselves healthy. Well, by the same analogy, there are important players out in nature, like the keystone species I've talked about, and there are rules that govern the interactions between creatures, between animals and plants and between animals and other animals. And those rules determine the relative numbers of things. You know, why are there, you know, so many small fry in a lake and so few large predatory fish? You know, what are the rules that, that, that govern that? And so that's what biologists have been trying to figure out for 50 or 60 years, really a different tribe of biologists. The the biologists we call ecologists have been trying to figure out how nature works on that large scale, while indoor biologists like me have been trying to figure out how things work on the scale of, you know, human body and how our organs and cells and, and molecules within them work.
2: Wow, fascinating stuff. Sean, we'll be right back. We're talking with uh, uh, Sean Carroll about his book, The Serengeti Rules, Discovering How Life Works and Why It Matters fascinating insights folks think of how little we know and uh and yet there's so much order so much structure and regulation out there that's just happening um naturally stick with us folks interesting stuff this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back Friends to the Matt Townsend show on the phone with us is Sean B. Carroll. He is a uh, he's an incredible um, biologist, researcher, and award-winning scientist, writer, educator, and executive producer. And he's talking to us about his book, uh, "The Serengeti Rules: Discovering How Life Works and Why It Matters." Sean, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt. This um, to me, this has to be like sometimes as you're doing your research, your mind had to have been blown by just certain things you were learning. What were some, what were some concepts that when you heard them, you couldn't believe it?
1: Yeah, I I think, um, well, this book is really the stories of the people who made these discoveries. And it's always fun to sort of walk in their footsteps. And because they generally had those same eureka moments themselves. I, I can sort of both identify as a scientist, but also that's as a storyteller. That's what I'm really trying to relate to a, a reader or a listener is that, you know, people go out in the world and they try to figure out, you know, how did this work? What's going on? And I think one of the stories I like best comes from biologist Jim Estes, who was up on the Aleutian Islands. Um, the, he'd gotten a government job up there because they were going to, I guess they're going to carve out some harbors by detonating some <laughs> atomic bombs underwater. <laughs> oh, great. This was the,
2: the 60s. Yeah, the good old days.
1: The good old days. And he was up there because he was going to monitor some of the wildlife populations, uh, including the otters. Well, long story short, he um, came to try to understand the role of the otters in the ecosystem. You might think, you know, we see otters and, you know, they're playful and it's cute. fun how they, yeah, they're cute. They eat the animals, you know, uh, pounding things on their chests yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Well, as it turns out, there are places in the Aleutian Islands with and without otters. And uh, Jim is a diver, and when Jim went underwater and compared these two places, it, they were like two different worlds. He, he said the, the 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 greatest instant of learning in his life was when he put his head underwater in a uh, on an island that ha- off an island that had no otters, because what had happened there it was completely carpeted with sea urchins, hmm. and there was no seaweed, no kelp forest, none of the you know the big stands of kelp that yeah. you just swim in and all that sort of stuff. And what happens is, and this is because of the fur trade from almost a century earlier, at the turn of the, of the 19th century into the 20th, otters had almost been eliminated all along the Pacific Rim, from Japan all the way to Southern California. There were really probably 100,000 animals had been, had been decimated to about 1,000, and that meant they were absent from most places. And then they started with, after protection early in the 20th century, they started rebounding, but the rebound was patchy. So in some islands, they had big, you know, several thousand otters in a population, other islands, none. And a huge difference there. And what happens was that the otters, as predators, carnivores, and they spend all their time at sea. So they eat a tremendous amount of food Yeah, and they control the urchin populations, and if they're not there, the urchins essentially denude um, all of the plant material growing on the coast. Oh wow. So,
2: so they're so really, they're Yeah, they're like the they're they're the janitor service of they're the cleanup pickup crew of the urchin world.
1: That's that's right. They are control they're regulating mm-hmm. the amount the number of sea urchins, which in turn regulates the amount of plant growth, which in turn Creates a habitat for all sorts of things the fish etc, the fish that for example, eagles and other water right. birds feed on um, habitat for other kind of shellfish and things like that so it 's these cascading effects that whether or not you have otters determines through a whole set of cascades, just like a domino effect whether or not all sorts of creatures could live there, or not, or whether you basically just have an, a carpet of sea urchins, and you
2: can't affect the system without affect a part of the system without affecting the whole system.
1: That's right, because because of these sorts of connections. But the connections, I mean, Jim Estes was stunned. Yeah. Nobody thought, yeah, nobody thought that predators, which were not that abundant, right? If you think about the world, you know, predators are are you know not the most abundant kind of animal. That they were actually sort of driving the system from the top down that they were influencing just not only what they ate but what you know what the things they ate ate in turn and that was that was a revelation and then once that was revealed then we started to understand the role of predators around the world why wolves play an important role, for example, in controlling you know, deer and elk in the American West, um, the role of big cats like lions in Africa and how they control everything from baboons to other sorts of animals that can otherwise become tremendous pests. humans. To, to wow. So, and same thing in the oceans what What a large predatory fish, what a tuna and cod, and what do they do um, in the ocean, and what is our removal of them because they taste so good?, yeah. um, you know what does that do and and then, how do we have to manage our fisheries in order for things to be um, you know sustainable for the long term so this was uh, an eye opening experience, and for me, um, you know and I have met uh, Jim since uh, you know it 's just to to that kind of revelation where you know, you, we look at nature and we just sort of observe, and we sort of think everything, you know, is is in its place. But we really don't understand the interactions uh, unless we look much deeper. And those interactions are are so important for us understanding and
2: managing the world. Oh yeah, what what would you say, Sean? We have about a minute left. Um, what would you say is is one of the most important lessons that we humans get out of this work?
1: Uh, the most important is how resilient nature is. And the, and the the back part of the book talks about conservation. And, you know, as species have been protected, whether that's, that's bald eagles or elephant seals or otters or the American alligator, et cetera, based on the understanding of these rules, we understand now species can come roaring back if the habitat is still there. And I tell the story of a, of a national park in Africa that's a great uh, example of that. And, and so I think the most important thing I want to share with listeners is that, Uh, there's still time to change the road we're on. It, It is amazing how resilient nature is and how quickly populations can rebound if we ease off uh, the pressure we put on them. We've learned this again and again in managing commercial fisheries, and we're seeing it in lots of other situations. And um, I think that's, that's hopefully, uh, that's a ray of well, optimism a- there, because uh, we do know more about nature than yeah. when we started doing things 50 years ago, and, and that, that knowledge is power.
2: Oh, and that is powerful. And, and again, it's such a great book, and I appreciate your passion around it, too, because we need the information, right? We, we've got to we got to just quit assuming we can explode a device somewhere and not impact the world. Um, we appreciate you. Sean, Carroll, thank you so much for your great work. Thanks for having me, man. You bet. The Serengeti rules, discovering how life works and why it matters. Go check out uh, Sean's website, seanbcarol.com. Excellent resource for all of us, folks. See, there's great people in the world and doing wonderful things. We'll take a break, come back, visit two of our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, this is a good song. Perfect music to send it down to our good buddies at uh, BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Spencer and Brian. Hello, gentlemen. Matthew. How are you?
9: What is good, my friend?
2: You guys are good. (laughs) That's all I got to say about that. How are you?
9: Feeling fantastic after a little Hey Jude.
2: You guys, um, you you ready for the show? You got the game face on?
8: Yep,
3: game face is on. Brian's (laughs) game face is on. He's never
9: heard this song before, Matt.
2: Are you? No, 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 no. Brian, really?
3: Nope. All, never... all my new songs that I hear is from this like radio hit right here, this segment.
2: Yeah, oh really cuz yeah, we I bring you We the... yeah, we're spinning the latest and the greatest. Brian, have you ever heard
9: of the Beatles? Yep. Okay.
3: Oh okay. I, I thought it sounded. familiar. Yeah. that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's I was it. like, wait, I've heard that. Just somewhere. a little. Hey just it's just a little
2: like, Beatles thing.
3: It's like my grandma used to say that. Who are these Beatles guys? <laughs> your grandma. I've never heard of them.
2: Your grandma used to sing that to you when she'd put you to bed, wouldn't she?
3: She never. I don't think she used to sing it. I think she just mentioned the song. You really. Know, just mentioned it. Like I like the song.
2: Did you guys? I wanted to. I wanted to play something for you um because spencer you speak if i'm correct you speak korean
9: <laughs>
2: okay so i don't know what you said but i'm pretty sure it was offensive
9: so that's correct i said it is that way
2: it or- is that way yes. okay so there was a story we did earlier that um was about a firefighter in china that had to help a guy a guy got his head stuck in a clothes washer oh boy you know which can happen And over there, I think they're close. We've all been there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, He got his head stuck. And so um, then, you know, it's embarrassing, but you got to have a – then the fire department had a uh, a, a press conference to explain it. I'm going to just play a little bit of the the Chinese press conference, and I want you to see if the Korean – if you can hear anything in the Chinese dialect. And then I'm going to play – well, we're going to transcribe or – we're going to actually use a translator to help us. So listen listen to what the, just the Chinese version of the guy's head getting
3: stuck. Okay. Do, well, do,
2: do you hear that? Do you, do you get anything out of that, Spencer?
9: No, because Chinese and Korean are entirely different. Totally in, different. They are in no way related in speaking kay. or general <laughs> written form. Like you can use Chinese characters okay. to communicate between Korean and Chinese people, but in spoken form. Not like, even close. In our day and age, not close.
2: So with today's technology, though, we actually were able to go and find a, a translator tool that translates the Chinese into Scottish. Stop it. Scottish. <laughs> So we, we couldn't find, we couldn't find uh, a translator that did it in just English. but it's, I mean, it's Scottish English, but it's got the Scottish accent. So this is actually the firefighter talking about the guy and how he got his head stuck.
7: Look at the size of that boy's head. I'm not kidding. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Well, that's a huge noggin. It's a virtual planetoid.
9: has its own weather system. Yeah. That's my jam, dude.
2: That's <laughs> wow. my jam. Don't you think that's rude? <laughs> I mean, if you just got your head stuck, you don't need somebody <laughs> dissing you like that.
9: Heed, get up if you can. Hauling that's that bad. huge gargantuan cranium about. <laughs>
3: yes. That's pretty good, man.
9: William, turn off the Bay City Rollers. The soccer game's about to begin.
3: Is that, that sounds like Brave, the movie Brave.
2: <laughs> By the way, I, I didn't tell you guys this, but... This went on for hours. Here's some
3: more. There are a lot of shurs. Yeah,
9: yeah. Shers and you hear that, don't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So here's the translator.
3: I'm not
9: kidding. That boy's head's like Sputnik. Spherical, but quick, pointy in parts. <laughs> He'll be crying himself to sleep tonight on his huge pillow. <laughs>
2: It was like it one was like, of the
9: greatest lines in all in of modern pillar. movie making.
2: It was. It was. It, what do you mean? No, this was a. This was a press conference. I don't know why you.
9: No. Oh.
2: It was. It was a press conference oh, out of Mike China. Mike
9: Myers. So I married an axe murderer. Isn't that the greatest? He'll be crying himself to sleep on his huge pillow.
3: I, no, I am so lost, man. You've
2: got to go watch that, Brian. I have no
3: idea what's going on.
2: Brian, go go rent the movie. So I married an axe murderer. That's all you need He's
3: to know. Hit. So, Move <laughs> now. Is this is this, is this like a comedy? Because that doesn't sound yes. too. Yes. It's oh, okay. it's it's the
2: funniest axe murdering you'll ever see.
3: It didn't sound too like, <laughs> funny. Hey, we um, have a piper doin'. I repeat, <laughs> a piper doin'. Yeah. Let you guys take this one. I'm gonna just chill on my laptop. Oh, uh,
2: uh, Brian. Well, okay. So, Brian, what's gonna be on your show today?
3: Um. Or Spencer. He's going to talk about cars. We're going to talk about okay. superheroes. Sweet. Th- that's true. Uh, Sweet. Um, yep. That's what's going to be on.
2: Are you guys going to talk about hid? Heed. Heed? The size of the Heed.
3: Oh, oh, oh <laughs> I'll get it now. Yeah.
9: Okay, so Colin Coward. Are you are you familiar with Colin yes. Coward?
2: He's, now, he left his show.
9: He's on Fox Sports 1 now. Okay, okay. Still doing the Herd. In Los Angeles now. He's much happier living on the West Coast. Sure. Who isn't? He has uh, an ace card, if you will, that he whips out every once in a while uh, when it comes to, like, international soccer. And it's kind of a buzz now because of Copa America and Euro 2016. He compared college football program, like programs, powers, to Mm -hmm. different national teams, and he compared BYU to Team USA. Really? He said, we are BYU. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. That's not, if, is that if, negative?
9: Well no, like he he qualified it like there were some good things, but like he was very <laughs> real about it. Now that kind of incited the BYU fan to right. so like, oh that's spot on, I like that or hey, he didn't take into consideration our history and that we won a national championship in 1984 right. and we have a Heisman Trophy winner. So, that, I mean, there are some discrepancies. Like, it's just fun to see the BYU fan base kind of right. react take to off. that. take yeah. So we're giving BYU Sports Nation fans a chance to compare BYU to something perhaps more of their own taste. Cool. Like, if they wanted to create a metaphor, what would they create? Okay, that's good. What is BYU? Brian's going the superhero route.
3: I have chosen to go the automobile route.
2: Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go bears. Dessert.
3: There, yeah. You know, there's um, a couple of tweets that we've had in so far. Uh, some have been on dating and women. Mm. Uh, some have been on desserts. Uh, so it's been it's been pretty funny. Yeah. So far.
2: No, see, this is perfect because then people can get creative on your show and you, s- you stir, you stir the pot in a creative way and that's nobody what, gets hurt.
3: That's what this show is all about, <laughs> Matthew. Yeah. It's you, about creativeness. We don't. We don't box people in. No. There's no angles on this show. You're creative. No,
2: just yeah. curves. Yes. Only curves. <laughs> That's all I see on that show. <laughs> Tons of curve here. Yes. Hey, um, it's going to be good. And we, we appreciate you guys. You always do a great job. And just, you know, peace to you both.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. I mean, yep. Okay. Yep. Thanks. Okay. Just, Matt, just... shut it! <laughs> Thank you. Ma- Matt, Thanks, Dad. Uh, a, a good transition would be don't judge, just pray. And that, then you can, you that's know, it. I
2: was going to, but then I thought you'd go off on a prayer thing. No,
3: no, not at all. no, no. Okay. all. Not at all. That's, it's kind of like saying amen. Like yeah. That's when we know you're done. Yeah,
2: don't, just don't judge, just love and pray. Yep. Mm-hmm. Peace out. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Have fun. Have a great show. Yeah. They're five minutes away, folks. In five minutes, you'll be able to enjoy Brian Logan, Spencer Linton, and the joy that they bring. Eh. Fun stuff, yeah. I always like it when we can, um, you know, use the the translator. We spend a lot of money BYU broadcasting did for this translator we've got. We now have emoji translator. We have Scottish translator. It's hard because we can't know every language in the world. We can't. It just can't happen. So uh, we, we like that. Did you hear, by the way, about this swarm of termites? This is crazy, A National Weather Service station in New Orleans shared images of a non-weather-related phenomenon that showed up on radar, a cloud of termites. Here's the video of the sonar, the radar system, I mean. The NWS New Orleans recorded a cloud-shaped image on the weather radar. That meteorologists determined was not caused by any weather patterns. You know, we're used to seeing bird flocks on the radar at sunrise and insect swarms and stuff like that. But tonight, holy cow, it was like a tornado. It was like a tornado. And there's, it's a tornado, and we're watching the video, and inside the tornado, you can hear certain sounds. Brent. There they are. It's a tornado of cows. Wow. It was a whole herd. Wow. Nothing to do with the termites. It's a, it's a, this, you think a herd, you, you think a ton of termites are bad? You wait till you've got a tornado filled with cows. Okay, man, that's a lot of. a lot of cows. I think I'd rather have the termites. The crazy thing about those termites are going to land somewhere, right? They got to land. They got to eat. So how about the poor home that they all land on? Hey, let's just rest here, guys. Rest here, right here on this wooden log home. Boy, poor guy. Honey, I heard something on the roof. Crazy Town. Hey, as you know, we always like to wrap up the show with a good hero story. And our hero is Hong Kong native Babar. Listen to this. A story a young man has been dubbed a hero and praised widely by Hong Kongers after he saved another man's apparent suicide attempt in Yuen Long over the weekend. A witness said he heard a loud splash at about 8:30 a.m. when he was on the High Lee Path in Yuen Long. At first I thought somebody was throwing rubbish into the river, but then I saw a guy floating in the water. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Cheung said Babar waded into the water, picked up the Western man. The man who had jumped into the water was apparently suffering from uh, from heartbreak and told his rescuer that he was dumped by his girlfriend. Emergency services later took the Western man to the hospital for injuries to his right foot. Later, Babar told reporters in fluent Cantonese, no less, I saw that uh, nobody was saving this guy, so I helped him out. He continued, the most important thing is to cherish life. There's no point in wasting it. Despite the fact that his iPhone 4 was destroyed by water damage, the Hong Kong native said saving a life is the top priority. What happened to my things doesn't matter. However, a few hours later, a local woman who heard about the young man's heroics gifted him a brand new iPhone SE, praising his good nature. So Babar scored a phone and saved a life, folks. Isn't that really why we're here? To just learn to relate with one another, learn the lessons that come by uh, having to lose ourselves. And as we lose ourselves, we find probably the higher, the better person that's inside of each of us. That's why we bring you the show as well. We also want you to see that there is good in the world. So let's make sure we, uh, we make it that way. And we can't do it without you. We'll be back again tomorrow with more ideas, more tools, to help you uh, to become the best person you can be. Until tomorrow, look after each other, you know, lift each other, and uh, make it a great one. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care.